I should have been watching them. Not drinking. Not meeting a boy at the lake. I deserve to be punished. We all deserve to be punished. Jason. My special, special boy. Do you know what your gift is? No matter what they do to you, you cannot die. You can never die. You've just been sleeping, honey. But now, the time has come to wake up. Mommy has something she wants you to do. I need you to go to Elm Street. The children have been very bad on Elm Street. Rise up, Jason! Your work isn't finished! Hear my voice and live again! Make them remember me, Jason! Make them remember what fear tastes like! I have been away from my children for far too long. <laughs> Hello again, friends. This is the Film Effect Podcast. Good morning, Film Effect. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's the end of the game right there. That's World War Three. Fucking hot recording right now. I literally never wanted to punch movie in its face more than I had last night. Definitely worth your time. It's it's definitely worth revisiting. Fifteen minutes in, I'm like, uh, Dorothy, we're not in Oakland anymore. It's in 4K, buddy. Check it out. So we're kind of like an afternoon, you like drive time type thing. Or like the type of podcast you listen to at work. So let's get down to the nitty gritty. Hello out there, podcast world, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Film Effect Podcast, the weekly show that deep dives into a different film each episode in an effort to give what we call the full film effect treatment. I'm Ed. And I'm Corey. And this is Freddy vs. Jason. versus Jason, Freddy Krueger and Jason Voorhees return to terrorize the teenagers of Elm Street. Only this time, they're out to get each other too. Alright, so a little background information on why I ultimately chose to cover Freddy vs. Jason for my birthday film this year. Um, like last year, we did The Wrestler. Um, this time. Originally, um, 
this film in particular, Freddy vs. Jason, was penciled in for the horror and I had been kicking around a bunch of titles to cover before this. I know at one point I had Death Sentence on here for the birthday film, as well as Boyhood, Social Network. I know at one point I wanted to do Beverly Hills Cop, but here we are. And at the end of the day, it came down to fun. And I know I've always had a good time whenever I talk to people about this movie, so... Why not have a little fun with this? I'm 38 today, or at least when this episode drops. And it came out a day before my birthday, almost 20 years ago. But on that in a moment. So fuck it. Uh, but yeah, Freddy vs. Jason. Before uh, sitting down with it prior to this recording, when was the last time you watched this front to back, Corey? Uh, I watched it actually not too long ago, uh, back when I got the Shout Factory Blu-ray set of... Um, Friday the 13th, I actually uh, was going through and rewatching them all because it had been a while since I had seen a majority of those movies. So, uh, yeah, I went through everything from, you know, obviously the first one to Freddy uh, versus Jason and the remake. So, yeah, I, it hasn't been that long. Yeah, that's what I used to watch it for this episode was that Shout Factory, which is funny, or Scream Factory, which is funny because it's literally the same disc as New Line. They just made a new case for it. Like they, they, they're using the new line disc. It's not their own. Uh, same thing for the Friday remake. It's it's the new line disc for that as well. I just always found that thought that was just funny as shit. Because they, I guess, because of rights, they couldn't. You know, it's not like they could make any new features for them movies. So they were just like, hey, you can include these, but you're gonna use our discs, and that's pretty much what they did. So, hmm. in fact, the. There's not even a Scream Factory logo on the actual disc itself. Because, again, it's just recycled discs, I guess, from the old warehouse that they didn't use that they passed on down or something because it's a brand new case. But, yeah, everything else in that that, that collection's uh, brand new, made by Scream Factory, except for uh, those two discs for uh, Freddy vs. Jason and the remake. So, um for huh, before we uh before we move on, I just want to say happy birthday. Oh, yeah, happy thirty eighth. Oh, thank you. Yeah, man. Um, it's always fun looking back and be like, oh, I'm a day older or a year older. But uh, I don't know. Like I said, it just happens to co- coincide with my birthday, so I enjoy doing these. We're getting old. Yeah, I know. <laughs> We're both getting you're old. Above, 30, you're thirty eight. Like I'm thirty six. Yeah, I was gonna say you're like two years behind me. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Technically a year and a half, because your birthday's in February, so. Yeah. Anyway, uh, for me, though, in this movie, it was about two years ago, I want to say. I watched it last. I actually, uh, I keep up with watching this film pretty consistently, yeah. I don't know. I don't know why, but deep down, I know it's not a great horror movie, but I still kind of look at it as a special attraction after all the years. I mean, in one hand, you've got... Freddy Krueger, who's been a New Line staple since its inception, and then in the other you've got Jason Voorhees, who's the most beloved mass killer of the slasher era, and people have been clamoring for this film for decades, and then it finally came to be. But I don't want to get ahead of myself, so I'll refrain from going forward. Uh, Corey, where are you at on this movie and the idea of Freddy and Jason finally becoming a reality, even though it's been two decades since it's occurred? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm pretty much where you are. Uh, when this movie was coming out, this was one of the my most anticipated movies ever. Yeah. Like, there's only a handful of movies where I actually, like, tracked 
uh, you know, all the behind the scenes stuff, all the pre-production and production stuff. Uh, you know, I remember before this movie was even a reality, the rumors. I mean, everybody remembers the end of um, Friday, uh, the 13th, part nine. You know, Jason goes mm -hmm. to hell. Everybody remembers that ending stinger with Freddy's glove coming up. So pretty much from that point until this movie came out, I was all about Freddy versus Jason and just couldn't wait. And then when it finally was announced and happening, I mean, it's just like I couldn't like it didn't feel real until I was in the theater that day. <laughs> you know, till we were all in the theater that day watching it. Um, you know, so I'm right there with you. It's not a great movie. I wouldn't even say, like you said, it's really a good horror movie. It has a lot of flaws, but, uh, you know, just for nostalgia and just for the sheer star power of having, you know, the original Freddie, Robert England, and then Jason in there, just having that to me is magical. So th this movie always have a soft place in my heart. I'll, I'll be a defender, even though I can't really defend a lot of its flaws but right. i still think it's more than the sum of its parts pretty much especially if you grew up around when we did yeah. loving it's, horror it's movies good way of putting it um yeah let's jump into it then uh first time viewings uh, it's, it's just that you see this is actually uh my, my first time no no my first it's my first time uh since my first time so technically that's my second time and I don't, I don't, I don't want to suck at it. So if I'm not up to... Uh, so opening night, um, Christ, you were there, right? There oh, were, yeah. There was like a was whole a lot, group a of us. There was a lot. I remember that day very well because I was working at Blockbuster. I was at the one in Carroll Island. And that day in particular, it was a Friday, of course. I was working open and... uh we went to like a seven o'clock show with a movie or something like that. And again, it was like 20 deep. It was a lot of us. And that day, I remember right before I left, like the whole day I was so excited. Like I had never been as excited as I was that dire day. I was like, dude, I've been waiting for this film since I was a little kid and first got in the horror. Like Freddy Krueger and Jason Voorhees are about to fucking clash and I'm about to fucking see it go down. This is finally happening. It's finally happening. It's finally happening. And then... Look before I remember getting off work or shift shift change. Like there was like this woman who was pissed off about something, and she was getting into it with uh, the the. I was the manager at the time, so she was one of my employees. She was getting into it with about a late fee or some bullshit. Nine times out of ten, it was always a late fee disputant, disputant, and um, she. I got involved and I took it took everything in my power to fucking not cuss her out myself because like she was just I, I forgot the, the the actual details is what it pertained but I just remember it was getting into it with this woman and just finally taking a deep breath and letting her just you know win for the sake of me getting the hell out of there on time and seeing Freddy versus Jason and I did I, I, I let her have that one so I can get the hell out of there in a timely manner and I did and we saw that movie and then, yeah, <laughs> so it finally happened. But yeah, I remember that day very well. I'll never forget that day, in fact. So, Yeah, me too. I mean, I was still in uh, high school when it came out. So, uh, you know, I just remember like being at school that day uh, and being so excited about going to see it. And then I remember us going to see it. And I remember the theater was packed. It was like a good experience. I remember I everybody was, was having a good time sure. in the theater. Yeah, it was sold out. It was a good experience, though. And I remember the Underworld trailer. 
I remember getting the Underworld trailer before that movie. I don't know if it was the first time that trailer was released, but I do remember that because I was like, oh, that looks pretty cool. Oh, wow. Uh, but yeah, Underworld. Oh, I, know I don't know why that about. pops out. To uh, me. It, it, it adds up because the first one came out, I think, the following month. Yeah, I remember thinking the trailer was pretty cool. I was pretty excited about that. And then I remember watching the movie, loving every second of it and thinking it was like the best it could have possibly came out, which... In some aspects, it did pretty good, but other aspects, looking back now, you know, 20 years wiser, it, no, <laughs> it's not as good as I thought it was, but it's still pretty fun. Yeah, I'll give it that. Um, all right, before we get into it, let's talk about a story I have. Story time. Tell me a story. Wait. Like my story? No, not your story, a story. Since you can't keep your mouth shut long enough for me to read my paper, tell me a story. I don't think I know any stories. You don't know any stories? No. All right, I'll tell you a story. This is a newspaper, right? It's 90% bullshit, but it's entertaining. That's why I read it, because it entertains me. You won't let me read it. So you entertain me with your bullshit. Tell me a story right now. Go. This film actually had a weigh-in before it came out. A fucking weigh-in in Vegas. They like had... I think Michael Buffer was there doing the announcements, but like they actually had... Robert England in character and make full makeup and everything. Uh, they had an actor who I'd imagine was Ken Kersinger in again full makeup and just it was a twenty minute weigh in. That the whole the whole thing is on the the Blu-ray as a special feature. You can watch it, and I'm sure it's on YouTube. Movie fans and fight fans of all ages, let's get ready to rumble. Introducing first to my right, with over 1,000 career kills, he's come back to life seven times. Hailing from Elm Street, the man with the killer right hand, the Springwood Slasher, Freddy Krueger. Now, ladies and gentlemen, to my left, his opponent, over 1,200 kills, 10 times resurrected, and he's got one mean machete. Ladies and gentlemen, from Camp Crystal Lake, introducing the Tower of Power, Jason Gentlemen, please, at this time, we would like to have the weigh-in. Could, could you please step backstage here behind it? Mr. Kruger, Mr. Boris, please. Back here, please. You're slow, you're stupid, and you're all washed up. Freddy Krueger, 174 and three-quarter pounds. Freddy Krueger. Jason Voorhees, 275 pounds. Jason, there's been a, a great deal of controversy about your training methods. How do you respond to that? No comment. What's the matter? Can't you speak for yourself, hockey puck? Senior Freddy, what do you anticipate will be your most difficult challenge in fighting Jason? Waiting to see if this Goldie here can find the ring. 
Freddie. <clears throat> Woody. Do you feel your ability to speak and thus talk trash gives you a distinct advantage in intimidating Jason before your big fight? I don't need no stinking distinct advantage. If Mama's boy here, he's big, he's dumb, he's slow, he's stupid, and he ain't got no style. Place your bets, people. See in the ring, Voorhees. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. Those are the official odds. Jason is a two to three favorite over Freddie, who is seven to five as an underdog. Well, ladies and gentlemen, the press conference, I believe, is over at this time. We thank you for coming to Battles Las Vegas. Don't forget, it's going to be the rumble between Freddie versus Jason. August 15th, we'll see you then, everybody. Thank you for coming. Freddie versus Jason. Place your fists. I'll be in Vegas, like I said. It was just a promotional thing in a time capsule for the early internet. It was just, I don't know, something like this had never been done before. A film like Jason and Freddy had never been done before. So, the game was fun. It wasn't long. It was like a 20-minute event that they had in Vegas. I mean, how long how long could it be when Jason doesn't right, talk? Right, right, right. <laughs> then they had, like, odds set at the end of the event. They they gave Freddy, like, seven to five odds and Jason two, out, two to three odds. And, yeah. I mean, it was a well, big thing. Spring. People were all... I remember it being a big deal. Like, who's going to win? Freddy or Jason? Or Jason or Freddy? Which one do you, who do you think is going to be? It's like, I don't give a fuck who yeah. wins, man. I'm just happy to see these two clash. Yeah, me too. Uh, I didn't... Well, so I always had a pick. Like, I always wanted Freddy to win. Freddy's always been my favorite out of those two. Yeah. Uh, he's always been, like, my favorite horror icon. I just think, uh, you know... He's just more fun. Nothing against Jason. I understand why some people would pick Jason as their favorite. I'm not dissing anybody, but to me, Robert England is Freddie. It's like no contest. But, uh, you know, it's interesting. I didn't really care that much who won either. But, you know, knowing what I know now about, like, politics and, you know, the franchise, like, I know the behind the scenes stuff. Nowadays, I would know there would never really be a clear winner. I mean, you look to like a more recent example of Godzilla versus Kong. Like, you're not really going to see one kill the other. It's never going to happen because no. they're never going to want to piss off the, the fans of one of the icons. So knowing that now, I think it would make it a little less fun. But back then, I didn't really think about that. I was like, oh, man, is Freddy going to kill Jason or Jason going to kill Freddy? In my head, I had it like all built up like it was going to be like this final thing when in reality, that's never going to happen with any of these versus type movies. That just doesn't happen. I mean, once you add the human element into the film, you should have known that, you know, they're going to ultimately be the winners. You knew it at deep down, like at least I did going into it. Like, you know, we have all these like human characters and stuff that are also like in the mix. It's like ultimately they're going to come out on top between Freddy and Jason. So they're both going to go down. And that's pretty much what happens in the movie. I mean, we'll get to that last scene once we get to it. But, uh, you know, um, but this was fun. Then again, it's a special feature, or you can look it up on YouTube. Um, so, yeah. before we get into the film itself, though, let's do live top five. Rob, it's your turn. Okay, I'm feeling kind of basic today. Top five side ones, track ones. 
Janie Jones, Clash, from The Clash. Mm. Let's get it on, Marvin Gaye from Let's Get It On. Nirvana, Smells Like Teen Spirit off of Nevermind. Oh no, Rob, that's not obvious enough, not at all. How about uh, Point of No Return on Point of No Return? Lewis, so you can uh, get up a... Shut up, shut up. <laughs> white Light, White Heat, Velvet Underground. Okay, that would be on my list. Though not and on mine. Massive Attack, No Protection, the song is Radiation oh. Ruling the Nation. Uh, top five, 2003 horror films. There's one thing I remember about this year, a lot of horror films that came out. A lot of sequels, but a lot of movies in general. Some good, some not so good, but ultimately a lot. <laughs> um, why don't you go first? I have a big honorable mention list. I'm just going to scroll down once it's my turn. Yeah, so um, I didn't get the category till last minute, so normally I'd probably have honorable mentions, but uh, just for the sake of I had to pick five really quick. Um, I don't right now, so if I forgot something or I might amend something later as we go on and I realize I maybe missed a movie. Right. <laughs> so uh, just bear with me. Uh, but my number five is a movie that uh, it's another movie where I'm not going to say it's like a great horror movie, but I remember having a good time watching it and being a fan for a long time. And that's the original wrong turn. Uh, I, I had a good time uh, with that film. Uh, Eliza Dushku it's trapped in, I don't know where they're at. I forget where it's officially set at, but like West Virginia backwoods. It's the pretty Appalachian much. Mountains. Yeah. So Somewhere in there, like Tennessee, West Virginia, somewhere in there, maybe Western Maryland. I'm not going to, uh, I don't want to disparage other states alone. Uh, but they're in the backwoods with some uh, mutant type uh, family. And I just remember that being a fun movie. Uh, you know, it had some good gore, some good kills. Uh, it has an interesting enough premise. So I remember having a good theater experience, having a fun time one night after work, going to see it with a bunch of people. It was good times. Yeah, Alan B. McElroy wrote that film, the writer of Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. Fun fact. Yeah. <laughs> it must have been somewhat good because they made, like, I haven't seen really any of the sequels, but they made a buttload of sequels. They made six sequels and a remake that just came out, which is kind of like a loose remake in title only. It's not really a remake of the first film or any of them for that matter. Um it's good. It's just different. So, and it's hard to call it a wrong turn movie, but it is. So whatever. And they had six in total and they're not good. The only good one is the second one. And actually I'm on the boat of wrong turn Two being the best of the series. So and that's a Joe Lynch film. You should check that movie out. You'd be surprised. Anyway, um, wrong turn, did not make my ultimate top five, but it did make my honorable mentions, as well as Jeepers Creepers 2, Darkness Falls, Final Destination 2, Beyond Reanimator, Dreamcatcher, and Willard. Um, my number five, though, is a film that not too many people know, because every time I bring it up, I always get the, what is he talking about, look. And that's a film called King of the Ants. And it's a film that was done by Stuart Gordon. In fact, you know the studio, The Asylum? This yeah, was, this uh -huh. was their, the Mockbusters. Yeah, this is their first movie. And it's an original. It's not huh. like it's a fucking like mocking a movie that came out in Hollywood. No, it's an original film. Um, it's it's really dark and fucked up. It's got George Wendt, Daniel Baldwin, uh, Kerry Wooler. Um, I'm trying to think. There's another. There's someone else I'm missing that I can't think of. I haven't seen the film in about 10 years or so, but like it's a real good movie and fucking... 
dark. Oh, Ron Livingston uh, pops up in the movie. He's the one I was thinking of. But uh, yeah, it's a Stuart Gordon movie. Uh, for those of you who don't know who Stuart Gordon is, you you just look up the name and like some of the movies that he's done. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, that's my number five though, King of the Ants. Which is number four? My number four is actually one of your honorable mentions, and that's uh, Beyond Reanimator. A huge fan of the oh, Reanimator movies. Yep, Stuart Gordon. That was funny that you brought yeah. him up. Uh, obviously, wasn't it Brian Yuzna? Yeah, Yuzna came on Beyond. by this point as the director. He did the second one and this one. Yeah, so he was on as director. Jeffrey Combs is back, uh, which I love Jeffrey Combs. Fucking love him and everything. Oh, yeah, He's especially in. the Frighteners. Uh, yeah, the Frighteners. That's one of my favorite roles Same. of his, and obviously Reanimator. Uh, I'm I'm a huge fan of Reanimator. Bride of Reanimator, just awesome '80s fun. I think like, I think Bride's the best one. I love the effects by K and B, especially of the Bride herself. It's just ooh, and when she falls apart at the end, oh, it's so good. Yeah, yeah it, it's great. I th- those were ones I discovered a little bit later. Reanimator. I didn't see that when I was young. I was probably a teenager, but yeah, I've loved it ever since. Beyond Reanimator, not the best of the it's bunch. Not. But it was still really cool uh, to see it come back. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it looks cheap. It looks like a sci-fi movie. It might have been a sci-fi movie. I honestly don't remember. It was a, but, it was a sci-fi. Uh, here in the States, it was a sci-fi original movie. Yeah. So it seemed like it looks like it when you watch it. But it's still fun if you're a fan of the franchise. Jeffrey Combs is back. I mean, to me, that's all you need. It's got a couple good gags in it from what I remember. Yeah, the, so, yeah. The bat and the penis. I, yeah, so I had a good time. I had a good time with it. I think it's a fun one, uh, you know, if you're a Reanimator fan. So it made my number four. Yeah, they filmed that over in, uh, that, was a, that was a Cuban production, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah. I could tell because it has, like, like everybody's yeah. Cuban except for, like, the main people. Like, that's it. Well, um, Chris Hemsworth's wife is in that movie. It's one of, one of her first movies. Um, Elsa... I can't. I don't know what her name is off the top of my head. She was in a couple of Fast and Furious films as well. But uh, yeah. Anyway, my number four is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. Um, I know. I know. A remake is on my list. Doesn't matter. This film is um, not as good as the first film, obviously. And I would never ever say it's anywhere near. But it holds its own. I really do think it's a uh, pretty substantially good film in its own right I think it does there are elements that I think that they improve on in compared to the, the original but overall the original one is you know it's classic how dare you you know but there are some things that you know I think are better for one just I think the the, 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 the tension the fear the scare factor is more is heightened in this one It's it's just I remember seeing that movie in the theaters and like just getting nervous watching it, you know, and that's just something that I just didn't really have that effect watching the first one. Then again, I guess it has something, you know, watching it at home will be just in the middle of the day as your first time, you know, you know, can't really, how, how scary can you possibly get watching it that way? But I, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm rambling now, but I think that the, uh, the remake holds its own, you know. Sawyer over Hewitt all day long, but <laughs> I still think that the remake, you know, not bad. Not bad at all. 
And yeah, Daniel Pearl, so, the director of photography from the original film, came back and shot this film as well. Yeah, we talked about this a little bit on the original uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre episode we did because we ranked up those. Uh, I'm right there with you. My number three is Texas Chainsaw Massacre as well. <laughs> that was a fun movie. Uh, way better than I thought it was going to be. Honestly, I was skeptical uh, when the remake was coming out, especially, you know, with... Um, what's it platinum dunes yeah, putting platinum it out dunes. i was like a little bit worried about that so i i just yeah i wasn't too optimistic about it but i remember seeing it in theaters and liking it i i i think it's one of the stronger films in the franchise overall uh you know it does it top the first two for me no it doesn't but it's still really fun like you said uh i think it has some good brutal kills in there i think it did what a good remake should do reintroduce it to a new uh, generation and i think it definitely did that because a lot of people aren't horror nerds like us like i guarantee you probably half the people in that theater never even seen the original but uh you know it reintroduced it did a good job so i think it it was a good remake and that's why it's my number three mm-hmm. uh number three for me is house of thousand corpses um i have been anticipating this film for years I remember the first teaser back in the late 90s, uh, back when it was going to come out from Universal, and just there were no scenes from the movie. It was just kind of like a teaser, just a straight up, you know, 45 second teaser or so. And like, that was enough to get me hooked. And it got shelved. And then just, I don't know, man, it took three years for the film to finally come out because it was supposed to come out in 2000. Ended up getting dunked by Lionsgate in the middle of April 2003. It's kind of a surprise hit. They kind of like immediately commissioned a sequel like after that opening weekend box office. But, you know, definitely a series I'd like to start covering sooner than later. Um, so, House of a Thousand Corpses, though, for number, number three for me. Yeah, our lists are pretty similar. So, my number two is House of a Thousand Corpses. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was the same way with you. I was excited. I was always a fan of Rob Zombie and his music. Uh, you know, not the biggest fan, but I always liked his music, and I was very interested uh, when I heard he was stepping into the director's chair. Right. Um, I don't know if you remember this. He was on Cribs or something like yeah. that, and he showed his house, and I remember loving his yeah, movie, movie room. room. I thought it was, like, the coolest thing. Like, he had, like, the big sliding door. Like uh, in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like it was like the coolest thing I had ever yeah, seen. Yeah, and he, it was a hidden room, if I'm not mistaken, that it was in. Yeah, yeah. Like I could tell the dude was just like us and just loved horror movies. So like that in my book, I wanted to see what he was gonna do. Uh, so yeah, it, it was a whole like you you went through the whole drama, like you know, getting dropped and getting uh, rated X or whatever, and or NC seventeen. So. I was so excited when I finally got to see it in theaters and it didn't disappoint. You know, it's nothing earth shattering. Like I wouldn't say it's anything groundbreaking or great, but it introduces great characters. So that's a big plus. I mean, I actually am interested by the characters, you know, Captain Spaulding is like one of my favorite. I know it's one of Sean's favorite too. Um, Like I love Sig Haig and Captain Spaulding, you know, so, um, but everybody's great in that film. And, you know, it's, like I said, it's nothing. It's just a basic horror movie, but I like the style too. Like he definitely, uh, Rob Zombie definitely bought a very cool style to the whole thing. 
And it was a good time. Like, it's one I go back and rewatch. I mean, I think Devil's Rejects is his magnum opus. Like, I think that's a way better movie. But I think this one's a good start and um, a good way to kick off his uh, directorial debut. All right. Well, my number two is this, Freddy vs. Jason. Uh, Yeah, we're going to get into it. So that's my number two. Which number one, Gore? Uh, My number one has to be the film we're about to talk about. I'm not saying it's a better horror movie than like House of a Thousand Corpses (laughs) or anything else. But as far as like my favorites, I mean, it, it it's my favorite. Like I was the most excited for it. It's one I like to go revisit. Yeah, it's my top one, which we'll get into, uh, you know, throughout the episode. Uh, number one for me is High Tension. It originally came out in 2003. It was a French release. Didn't hit the States until 05, but technically it's no three film. So going by that rule. That's why I didn't have it. I thought about that. I didn't have it on my list. Yeah, I because I, I liked High Tension. It probably would have made my bottom of my list, but I didn't put it on there. Love High Tension. Love debating the ending of the film with people and that twist. Um, I, what the twist? Twist. Uh, no, the movie's brutal. Soundtrack with Muse involved. It's it's great and it's a beautiful film and it's 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 just wonderfully gory and. It's just a twisted movie, and I just so much about the film that I just love, and it's it's that 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 French horror that's just ah, it's good shit. They're they're brutal over there. Oh man, they're brutal, and I love it so much. So yeah, to high tension, and eventually one of these days, uh, we'll get around to it. But until then, I sh- oh, yeah, I, sh- I sure. shall gloat about it being my favorite film of '03 when it comes to horror. Um, real quick, I have two honorable mentions that I've thought of uh, as we've been doing this. One, Willard. Love fucking Willard. I forgot that that came out. Um, I, You know, it was obviously kind of funny, but love Crispin Glover in the lead role. Love Willard. I remember having a good time. Did you go to theater with me and see that one? I remember seeing that one yeah. in the theaters. Yeah, because it, it, yeah. it came out in October. Uh, it came out right, before, right, right around Halloween time. Yeah, loved Willard. Um, and my other honorable mention, I consider it more of a suspense movie than anything else, or like a thriller. But Identity is kind of a horror movie. I, but I left um, it out for a reason, just because I don't consider it I did, horror. I did too. I think you could make an argument one way or another, but I would consider it more of like a whodunit thriller type. But some right. people, you know, with the killing, some people might call it um, horror. So Identity honorable mention is right. Yeah. All right, very good. Here we go! How fitting. We have some breaking news in terms of Friday the 13th that won't be so breaking once this episode drops. But anyway... um. It's been 13 years since the last Friday the 13th movie. How fitting. With the, uh, I'm reading this report. Uh, this is an exclusive from Bloody Disgusting. Uh, apparently their Boo, Crew, their Boo Crew podcast, which I listened to actually. I haven't heard the new episode yet. So they had a producer on there. Powerhouse producer Roy Lee, who's produced films like The Ring, The Poltergeist remake, The Blair Witch sequel from four or five years ago. 2017's It and the forthcoming Barbarian, which comes out September 9th. 
He indicated that a return to Crystal Lake is imminent with news on the Friday the 13th front coming very soon. In exclusive chat with the Boo Crew podcast, he says, that one is something that I would love to talk about. You may be hearing something by year's end on that front. So that's in terms of Friday the 13th. In any event, something is coming. So, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm excited, but I'm not going to be pessimistic. I mean, the remake wasn't bad. No. Like the one that came out 13 years ago wasn't bad. It was just, eh, it was just ho-hum. You know, it was fine. It was fine. Yeah, like you said. It was fine. And, you know, it's been 13 years. I I think we're we're, we're due a, a new film. And it's hard to get excited by this news because... I've heard this news before over the last so many years or whatever it's been. But every time I hear it, it's always that that damn trial or or lawsuit is always in the way. Now that that's resolved, um, I don't know. I, 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 to be honest with you, I forgot what the fucking result was in that trial. I think Victor, I think, I don't know. I'm pretty sure it was Victor Garber got the rights back like he wanted all along. So. What that means, I don't know. So we'll 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 let time run its course, and we'll hear something. I'm sure in the next few months, if this true, if this report turns out to be anything with uh, running home about. Anyway, let's get to the film. Um, background stuff as usual. I mean, shit, dude. We could talk about the development of this film forever. It it, it could be worth it. We could dedicate an entire podcast the story behind the making of this movie alone um you know 87 just i'll give you the close notes 87 you got part six coming out and that's as early back as i can remember hearing because i think tom mclaughlin he wanted to do it at first because they wanted him to come in to bring jason back and he was like what if we bring freddy into the mix and they were like ah now you're at. Were they both owned by no. uh, New Line at that no, point? No, no, this was strictly the Paramount was Friday, and Elm Street was New Line. Okay. So, I know in eighty eighty eight, the following year, I know Part Seven was what they originally wanted to be Freddy versus Jason, but then ended up settling for Freddy versus Carrie. That's why they had the character <laughs> of Tina. Well, that's why they have Tina, and she's basically a Carrie ripoff. Oh yeah, totally. Because originally they yeah. wanted that film to be Freddy vs. Jason, but at that you know it's funny. Go on. No, I was just gonna say it's funny because I saw that movie before I saw Carrie, so I had no oh. idea it was like a Carrie ripoff. <laughs> right. <laughs> a couple years later, I saw Carrie. I was like, oh wow, it's like Friday the Thirteenth Part Seven. Pretty much. <laughs> and I think you were like, nah, dude, it's it's the other yeah, way exactly. around. Exactly. But no, um, <laughs> and at that point, Freddy, I would argue, was like at the height of his popularity because Part Four came out. In 88, that was Dream Master, and that's when Freddy was, like, huge. That was when MTV Freddy was, like, at the height of his popularity. So, of course, New Line wasn't giving up those rights. In fact, I got something on this. This was what they wanted. This is what they proposed. Um, Hang on, let me find it right here. Yeah, Paramount thought it could still, you know, they, they, they could push it around, strong arm. Strong arm new line into licensing Freddy to them so they can make a complete control, a complete controllable Freddy vs. Jason film for themselves. New line would get all, all they would get would be international distribution rights, which is a, a yeah. sucker's deal. New line knew it. So, 
ultimately yeah, went nowhere. I mean, New Line, yeah, New Line was obviously the smaller, way smaller company than Paramount, but still, like, they're no dummies. Right. Like, they're, that was never going to be agreed to. Like, at that point, New Line was established enough. Like, maybe after, like, the first film or something, but not, and not at this by point. That, I mean, Freddy was bigger than by Jason. By that point, the term, the house that Freddy built was a real thing. Because he was the pop, he, he he did, you know, rescue New Line. Freddy Krueger was the reason that they were able to survive the 80s, you know. And then from there, it was just hits after hits. And then the New Line, or the Paramount, not Paramount, the um, Warner Brothers acquisition and all that shit. So, anyway, um, and then 93 was when the, the rights went to new line the rights for jason the name and the character the likeliness and all that not the title friday the 13th nor could they use footage those were still with paramount the eight films and the title friday the 13th so new line had the character that's why they had for that's why jason goes to hell is called jason goes to hell and not friday the 13th part nine as you called it earlier and that's why jason x is called jason x and not Friday the 13th X or 10 or whatever because they do not have the rights for Friday the 13th. And, you know, this is a no-brainer. Now the company has Jason and Freddy in the same roo- under the same roof. But still, it took them well over a decade to do this movie. A lot of... A lot yeah. of sh- and, and to be honest with you, the reason it took so long because they couldn't get a right script. They spent so much money. They spent six point eight million dollars worth of money on just different scripts alone that they didn't even use. Scripts that were insane. Scripts that had ideas that stemmed from, like, hang on, uh, uh, let's see, let's see. Goddamn, some of these, some of these are just insane. One script focused on a cult that called themselves Fred Heads, while another one showed authorities catching Jason and sending him to trial. That was actually the Ronald D. Moore script. There were also a boxing <laughs> and hockey match between Freddy and Jason, a scenario where Freddy assaulted Jason's mother. There is even one idea to have Freddy pee into the Holy Grail, but it's unknown where that plot point could have went. It's insane, oh dude. It's insane. And then finally, I go on. No, I was just going to say, I just remember uh, reading about it, because obviously the internet back in the early 90s, I mean, it, it existed, but it wasn't a, a thing for most people. Uh, I remember reading about it in a magazine, like how all these scripts were happening and how it was owned, because I didn't know right away, but I knew after several years that Freddie and Jason were both owned by the same company, by New Line. I was like, what the fuck are they doing? They own it. Like, just make the movie. Like, I remember literally banging my head, like, into the table. Like, I was like, they teased it at the end of uh, Jason Goes to Hell. Like, why are they making it? And then I remember when Jason X came out later. I was like, all pissed off. Like, why is there Jason X and no Friday or Freddy versus Jason? Yeah, it made your head hurt. You know? And, and I don't know, dude. There's a book actually called Slash of the Titans. It's an entire book on all 16 screenwriters that made 10 different versions of the of the the, the screenplay. 
and it's it's just all in the making of this movie. It's called yeah, it's it's called Slash of the Titans. In fact, I plan on using my uh, monthly Audible credit on it this month and listening to it because it sounds interesting. I'm not gonna lie, yeah, it sounds interesting. I'm not gonna lie, I would like to see Freddy piss on the Holy Grail. <laughs> like, I would kind of like to see like Indiana Jones walk in the room and you see like the fucking druid guy who's guarding the holy grail and then you see freddy in the background just piss on it and it lights on fire like now that's a fucking movie i'll watch right there <laughs> i mean how like, sorry jones you're late <laughs> <laughs> how would you though if 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 all right say like new line came up to you and be like how would you bring freddy and jason together what would your idea be uh i mean i think Actually, if I had to pick, I think they did a pretty good job in the movie we got in a couple respects. I mean, I think it was a pretty good idea having kind of Freddy be the mastermind and Jason end up killing him. I agree. You know, I mean, other than just like a dumb, you know, you could always go the other way where you really don't explain much at all. Like <laughs> Freddy's just terrorizing kids on Elm Street and then Jason just shows up for some reason. I mean, I don't know. You could always go that way. I think the more convoluted, the worse it is in these type of movies. Like, I don't need a complicated backstory. I just want to see Jason fight Freddy. <laughs> like, it's not fucking brain surgery here. You know, it's, I'm not saying I want, like, a, a silly plot or anything like that, but, like, ultimately, all this is just to serve to get Freddy mad at Jason, you know, <laughs> like, or vice versa, like, just to have them fight. So, personally, I don't really care all that much. Like, I could have gave a shit about any of the... um human characters or the plot going into the movie you know, back in 2003. Spitballing that idea for off the top of my head real quick. For me, if I had a, a crack at it, um, I would establish it so that right off the bat we, we see or, or we know as an audience that Jason was originally one of the Elm Street kids. Well, like maybe he was born, you know, and, and then he moved at a very young age or something. So it didn't really affect him, but it should be established that he was an Elm. He was one of the Elm Street kids, Jason. Um, and then I don't know. From there, you can have just Jason. From there, the sky's the limit. You can have Jason start. You know what happens when he's not killing? Does Jason sleep? Okay, so then that's how we get Freddy into this or something. I don't know. Um, I think, and I'm I'm gonna go into it later on when the time is right. I, I but I do think that the um the idea that they came up with was good, and like you said, in some aspects, um, th- yeah. But I'll get into that in a little bit. I'm hold that thought. Let's just say that. So, uh, um, I got a few more facts. According to Ronnie Yu, the director of the film, special effects team used 300 gallons of fake blood for the film. I believe that, especially for that corn uh, cornfield uh, rave scene. Uh, filming for Freddy vs. Jason began on September 9th, 2002. Hmm, almost 20 years ago. In Vancouver. It's definitely a Canadian film. And ended on December 10th of that same year. Only the film. So if we get this red variant of the New Line logo before we begin at Freddy's boiler room as he tells us how he was the Springwood slasher and it was the children that gave him power. Yeah, okay, off so far, off on the right track. And he, sh- I love, uh, 
I love seeing Robert Englund without the makeup here. Like he's in full yeah. on uh, child molester slash murderer mode. And I love that. Like, I love the opening. Like Robert Englund is so fucking awesome in this movie. And he starts out like licking the back of the fucking picture. Like he's so creepy. He's so good. Robert Englund right here. Yeah. We see him like sharpening his glove. Um, before he kills this little girl in the boiler room. And then he like takes this photo of her and licks it and seeks to do his little book of victims that he keeps. So, you know, we're we're going into the backstory of Freddy Krueger just as a reminder, because we've seen this before. You know, like, you know, most of us have seen Freddy's yeah. dead. We know how this goes. Um Yeah, I mean, if we were watching this on Netflix, the little skip recap button would pop up right now because that's pretty much what this is, a recap. Pretty much. Um and then we see the parents take matters into their own hands. Freddie only gets stronger because of this, and that's when the fun really began. Um, until they found a way to forget about him, to erase him completely, as we're showing a montage of previous heroes winning their battles against Freddie. So this opening montage, this it you know we get plenty of flashback footage from nightmare films, but none of the Friday films. And again, it's because New Line. Did not have the legal rights to use flashback footage because they were still with Paramount. Um, enter Jason, someone who will make them remember. We cut to this scene with this skinny nipper with uh, this boyfriend, Mike, who we only hear about. We never see Mike. We only hear Mike's name said like a dozen times. She encounters Jason and then the chase sets off. Now, yeah, because she like goes out into the water and then turns around and comes back. Just it's it's a total just nude scene. It's just there to show you know get the little kids get their kicks off, and then like I said, Jason. But we have to address the elephant in the room here, Kane Hodder. God talk about Kane. <laughs> so Jason Kane played Jason from seven to uh, Jason X. So for four films, he was Jason. In, in many aspects, depending on who you talk to, he it could be viewed as the Jason. Personally, I, I think I'm most in that people. Camp. I think most people would say. I've that. Been, I don't, yeah. believe it or not, I know a lot of people who are like, you know, Sackhead Jason or or parts four, five, and six Jason or whatever, or, or not five, six like or uh, parts three and four Jason, you know. Still, I know a lot of people, and I I respect those opinions. I really do. All of them are good Jasons, but for me, I just love nobody else had a run like I him. I love though. what Kane brought to the character. You know the way he just like noticeably breathes heavy, and like he's just total. No matter how goofy his makeup itself looks, like he gives it, he makes it you know look menaceful. Because you know it's it's almost like his makeup. And all the films that he's in kind of like just goes down with each film. Like he starts off with part seven. And to me, that that's like what my Jason ultimately looks like is that seven. You can read his, his bones sticking out from the back. Like as you see his spine and shit like that. Like, and he's just like torn apart. He's got chains hanging from him. Like he just looks fucking scary. And then part eight He's just got this yellow mask and this slimy jumpsuit. He's just full of, like, when I think of part eight Jason, Manhattan Jason, I think of, like, goo. 
because he's just fucking covered in slime and goo the entire movie. Like he just came, like he just came out from like underneath of a car and he's covered in grease or something. And then, <laughs> um, Jason goes to hell's look is just. I don't even remember what the fuck he looks like in that because he's barely well, he's in it. He's got the like the blisters and shit because they're giving off the fact that part eight ended with him in toxic waste. So I guess they're giving off that bubbly, you know, blister look. And he's got a silver mask out of all of a sudden his mask is just like silver <laughs> and it's like stuck to his face. It's like it's cool design. We never see it without the mask unless you play the video game. I guess the video game is canon. I never played the game, so. But you, there's an option that you can take his mask off and see what he looks like, and it's just like a skull and shit. I don't know. It's pretty cool. But again, we never actually see it on film. Like, there's never been makeup crafted for that. It's just a total video game sculpture. And then Jason X. I don't like his look in Jason X at all. He's too, like, human. Like you see, like his actual, like you see Kane's like skin and shit. Like, like they don't, they don't darken his eyes, and like he's just, they made him too human. Like, and I hate the mask. I fucking hate the mask. And I'm not talking about Uber Jason. You know, granted, you only see Uber Jason for like the final five minutes. That movie's complete. Just they, they, they marketed that movie to fool everyone. <laughs> I'm sorry, if you went to Jason X expecting Uber Jason for like the duration of the film, you were sadly mistaken. You got him for the final five minutes. <laughs> I don't even think he killed anybody yeah. when he was Cyber Jason or whatever. So what do you think about uh, the look in this movie, though, Jason? See, I never understood. Well, if you want to go into it, I don't like Ken Kersinger as Jason. I don't like Jason in this movie. I tolerate Jason in this movie. I, I I guess you can say I've since I've seen the film so many times and I, it's been twenty years now almost. I've gotten used to the way he looks, but it's never a look that I like was like a big fan of from the start. Like for he some, looks a little too I, tall. He's too tall, and we'll get into that because there's a reason for that. There, I, I don't like why suddenly like all of his skin is black and shit. Like, he just... Where did that come from? Like, why... He was laying dead in the ground, maybe? I, I don't, don't get it. Like, it's, like, just purple, black, dead skin, and I I don't I don't know. I don't like it. <laughs> You're trying to make him look like the video game. And, and he's got these <laughs> random, loose, long strands of hair on the back of his head, and it's like, come on, guys. Well, let's get into it real quick. So, wasn't it the reason Kane Hodder wasn't brought in to be in the film is because he wasn't tall enough? compared to Robert England, Wasn't that the issue? Or did I misread? Or was that just well, like a rumor? Well, it depends on which story you're going to go by. Because if you're... Uh, so, I got a lot of my information. To be honest with you, there's not a whole lot of background information that pertains to this movie. You would think a, Freddy about Freddy, a movie about Freddy vs. Jason would be like loaded with trivia. It's really not, guys. Um, but still, we'll make do with what we've got. And I, I referenced the Crystal Lake Memories uh, documentary that's like seven hours long. And the Freddy vs. Jason part is like 45 minutes. So I referenced that and I watched that. And when they got to the Kane thing, 
see, they had like four different stories being told during this segment. And everyone believes their own bullshit. You ask Ronnie Yu, he claims it was totally like, you know, he didn't care who it was. And that, you know, when he got, when he signed on, you know, he asked to meet Kane, but they said that they were going another direction. And he was like, oh, okay, whatever. And that's how that went down. And then you just got this producer guy who was like, Ronnie, you wanted someone else. He wanted like someone tall because like he wanted this whole like David and Goliath thing going on. Um, and I know Ronnie Yu's background in martial arts. That's another reason why he got the job. We'll get into that momentarily. But, um, you know, there's a lot of stories. There's And, and ultimately, I think... I think it comes down to the producers. I think it was the producers ultimately who said, you know what, we can do, you know, it's just the Jason, it's just the guy behind the mask. And we could probably save us some money if we just hire this stunt guy on an actor's salary, probably paid him minimum by, you know, union standards, you know, and he was probably fine with that because he's a stunt man making an actor's, you know, salary for a change. So plus he got to play Jason I'll Voorhees. Say, but I I'll say this. I don't I don't mind Jason in this movie. I wouldn't say I like it. Like he's definitely That's about the way not I, one, I, I put like, it that way. I don't I mind I, I, I don't mind it. I think it's fine. I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's bad, but it's not up there with Kane Hodder or um his name escapes me from part six. Uh, CJ Graham. But I like him too. CJ Graham, yeah in part six um, I like both of them the best, like they're my favorites, but, um, you know, this one's not bad. Like it doesn't stand out as bad. I think honestly, like it was just, most people probably didn't even notice. It was just nerds like us who was like, where's fuck, where's fucking Kane Hodder at? Like, why is he not going to be in this? You know, I, I think honestly, that was probably more of anything. Just horror nerds like us. Because Kane has a way like, of playing the role and we know it. We know Oh, we I can know. tell when Kane is playing. No matter what the makeup is, we know it's Kane behind it. Because Kane yeah. has a way of playing. The way he breathes, the way he moves, the way he turns and moves. You know, he like moves with his body. And, and yeah. you know, and I like this. He's a physical he actor. Very, He's a good physical actor. Physical. Um, and I love C.J. Graham. I do. But my second favorite is uh, Ted, um, Ted White. Yeah, Ted White's my second favorite. And then C.J. Graham. Oh, and then Richard Booker from Part 3, Rest in Peace. I'm actually looking at his autograph right now because I got a Part 3 replica mask back in 2011 at a horror convention Real- that he signed. Yeah, no, I know your mask. Real quick, too, do you want to uh, just talk about, obviously, Robert Englund is always Freddy, except for the one remake. Um, but do you like Freddy's look in this because you get that close-up at the beginning? Yeah. When he's doing the dialogue, I actually like they kind of made him look more demonic, like with the um, lens contact lenses in his eyes and the sharp teeth. Like, I'm actually a fan of the way Freddy looks at the beginning of this. He looks a little bit more menacing than in some of the previous films. So I I actually don't like, like an upgrade. To me. I like look, it's clearly after part five or it began with part five where whoever came on to do Freddy's makeup. Each, each crew for each film, they just made a mold, saved it, and they just slapped it on them every day, saved themselves a bunch of hours, and it probably took them like an hour and a half. It was probably a 120-minute uh, process, two hours tops, to get 
that on, slap it on, glue it to them in, in, in sections, and that's it. You can tell from part five onward that the makeup is just in pieces made from one mold. Whereas before that, you can tell a team sat there and, and very, you know, eloquently put the makeup on for many hours and listened to Robert England's many stories because he's a big talker, I hear, uh, for the six to eight hours, however long it took for them to do it each day. And it looked great. I think Pete Freddy is, you know, the makeup in parts two and three. I think that that's when it's the best. I've never been a fan of the way you can just tell it's just a piece put on in sections from part five onward. And that includes this movie. But I do like the demonic Freddy that we see in the one scene later on that we'll get to. Um... I don't know. There are things about it. I like the contacts they use for his character in this one. So I'm not I'm not completely out on it, but I'm not completely in on it either. And that's why. That's my defense. I I I just personally don't like the whole obvious you know makeup that they do. It's kind of like laziness or whatever. You know, there's no consistency. Let's just do a thing we can just put on and take off every day and just reapply. And that's all it is. It's an obvious just piece. <clears throat> I don't know. I think it looks fine. I think it looks good. I mean, but the way he plays Freddy in this one is awesome. You know, I think he's great. It's he's it's a Dark Freddy again, which I'm welcome to. It's been a while since I saw Dark Freddy. Yeah, he's not laughing like the fucking Wicked Witch anymore. No. And he was literally on a fucking broomstick like he was a Wicked Witch by the record. So. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and then we get Jason, like I said, um, uh, what happens? Uh, he like stabs. He kills, kills the, girl. the girl. Stabs her against the wall. Turns out it's just a figment of a dream or a nightmare. Because like all of a sudden, the, she like morphs into different victims that are talk talking to him, saying that they've been bad and they deserve to be punished. And then we see Jason's mother all of a sudden is like right behind him. And she's telling him to, he's got to wake up. And the people of Elm Street have been very bad. And it's like. So awesome. They got uh, Jason's mom in there, by the way. Awesome. Uh, hmm. I wish I was with you on that. I wish I could say the same. I, we're going to get into that in a second. Cause like, I, I don't know, it, different circumstances maybe, but then this whole like, She's randomly talking about people of Elm Street. Be, the kids of Elm Street are being bad and they need to be punished. So she needs to go make them remember. It's like make them remember what fear tastes like. And it's like, I don't know. And then it more. But it's Freddie playing Jason Voorhees' mom. Like, I, know, I don't think like, Jason Voorhees' mom, like Jason's mom would, would actually ever be say like that. that. It's, I don't see Betsy Palmer. And that's why Betsy Palmer de- declined it. And that's the thing. So. This is Paula Shaw, by the way, who plays Jason's mom. It's not Betsy Palmer. It is. It is. It's Paula Shaw, but I think she looks... uh, To me, it's close enough. Like, when I saw this, I didn't even realize it was a different actress initially. Like, I didn't realize it wasn't Betsy Palmer, but I I don't know. I liked it. I I know it's over the top, but to me, it's because it's Freddie that's her, you know? So, like, I excuse that a little bit. Like, it's not actually Mama Voorhees there. I don't know. 
I just think I just I just I, if it was Bretzy Palmer there, sure, it be it would make more sense. But because they couldn't get Betsy Palmer, I think they should have abandoned. Which doesn't surprise that. me. I think you know the intention was there. It was just the 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 delivery the execution. Just I don't know. Was wasn't like Betsy Palmer's whole story of taking that role was nobody will ever see it. I'll just do it for a paycheck. <laughs> and it turns into this no, big fucking thing. No, she actually said, because like, they interviewed her on the, the Crystal Lake Memories, and she says, like, she hated the script. She said they wanted me to come in and say stuff like, rise up, make them remember. She's like, God, I'm not talking like that. That's not how I talk to my boy. And I'm like, you're right. When you think about the the mother, when you think about the Pamela Voorhees from the first film, the way she's monologuing towards, you know, Alice and shit, that's not the way she talks, you know. That's not shit that she would say, like. So, anyway, Jason rises up. You see him come up from the grave and walk off in real world and in, in, in reality. And we hear Spineshank's beginning of the end as we get our title card before seeing Jason walking down Elm Street, which is a fucking great visual, by the way. Just seeing at the yeah. sign of Elm Street and Jason walking down, it's like, ah, he's on Elm Street. So we're introduced to Lori, Kia, and Gibb, played by Monica Kina, Kelly Rowland from Destiny's Child, and Catherine Isabel. Like, 90% of the people in this movie are Canadian, too. So, they're all hanging out at Lori's place before Gibbs' boyfriend, Trey, and Trey's boyfriend, boyfriend best friend, Tra, Blake, <laughs> shows up. Swings both he ways. Um, yeah, you get the whole thing. She tries to kiss him. He's like, baby, I'll tell you about kissing me when smoking. So I know, he's a douchebag. Before they get there, though, there's a shot that I love. Where Gib flicks her cigarette outside and she hits Jason's mask. It bounces off this mask and it's like, ah, Jason's out there. It's cool. So we learn about this ex-boyfriend of Lori's, Will, who just showed up and left sometime in the past and somehow ties into this mysterious death that revolves around Lori's mother that we're going to hear about throughout this movie. Now, the character Lori, like I said, Monica Kina from the show Undeclared at the time. She was on that, and she was in Orange... She on Dawson's Creek? She was on Dawson's Creek, and she was in Orange County. She played a girl at the the party scene at the end uh, on the college campus. But um, originally, they offered the, the role of her to Christina Ricci, but... Ah, Ricci, damn. That would have been a Ricci, way better upgrade. Ricci turned it down because she was doing that film Monster. With uh, Charlie Theron. Oh, good fucking choice there, Ricci. I don't blame you. <laughs> I don't blame you at all. Academy Award nominated film? Or Freddy vs. Jason? <laughs> yeah. Which one are you going to go with? Um, so yeah, power goes out. And fucking... This douchebag Blake. He's just trying so hard to talk to Kid and, and, and Laura. He's like talking about feng shui and shit. Power goes out, and he scares them both, and he was like, your door outside was open. I closed it. Ah! Your back door was open. I closed it. I closed it. <laughs> <laughs> I started fucking laughing when yeah. I said that lot. <laughs> I closed this it. This fucking guy is so <laughs> terrible. Oh, man. That's not even the fucking best. Like, the shit coming up later on is fucking great. 
Oh, this is all terrible. I hate all these characters and the Dude, acting is pretty acting, fucking bad. That's what bad. I'll say. And I'm going to say this too. I, I remember sitting in the theater back in 2003 thinking to myself, this acting is so fucking terrible. This is like soap opera lengths of bad, but I'm loving fucking this movie. Fucking guy who's like, uh, it's bad. The fucking guy who plays the discount uh, fucking Jay is better yeah. than these people. <laughs> Free it's pretty bad. Fuck, man. Um, the power goes out, like I said, and he's like, you know, doors open and close it. And then Trey's death scene, while Gibbs' obvious body double is showering. Dude, so, alright. Apparently after this film came out, Monica Kina and Catherine Isabel, they had some rather choice words about the film, with Kina in particular saying that she thought the screenplay was terrible and that she only did it for the money and to raise her profile. And um, Isabel, script is the only thing terrible in this Catherine fucking movie. Isabel is it? Don't throw fucking rocks at, <laughs> in a glass true, house. True. There. The biggest problem that occurred on set was a fight between Ronnie Yu and Catherine Isabel, the actress who plays Gib here, who had signed on to the film on the promise that she would not have to do nude scenes, as that was a strict no-no because she had a no, she had a nude clause, a no nudity clause on her contract. But during the shoot. Ronnie Yu was like kept on like approaching her about it. It was kind of like becoming aggressive about it and like went back on his promise and kept on pressuring her to do it. And eventually they settled on a body double, but still the fact that he would not fucking take no for an answer and he was like insisting on her doing that was like Why why wouldn't dude. you just make sure you cast somebody who can do nudity then? Like if you know That's the thing. She's it was one on of the, her contract. She's only... It's in her contract. She has a no nudity clause. I understand. I'm not blaming the actress. I'm just saying, like, you know, you know, because out of all the main characters, she was the only one that's nude in the film, right? Yep. Like, so why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you make sure that, like, when you're casting one of your main actors, like, that they don't have a clause in a contract? Like, why wouldn't that be something you would discuss? Like, when you know that's what you really want, because obviously Ronnie, you wanted it because he kept fucking pressure on the poor girl. Like, I feel bad for her. Like, that's yeah. terrible. Like, it's in her contract. Not to mention. It's a fucking... This is a useless nude scene. It is completely fucking useless. There is no need for this fucking scene to happen in this movie. Like, it's a throwaway fucking three-second scene of her in a shower from the from the, the the camera pointed upward looking down at her. And it's... It's so obvious it's not her. Like oh, it's, it's so it, obvious. It's so obvious. Um, so yeah, um... Hang on a second. Yeah, Trey's death. She's in the shower, and like, he, so he fucking, he's in bed, and he rolls over on his belly, and he sees Jason. No, he rolls over and he sees Jason. Then he goes to like roll over on his belly to like escape whatever, and Jason just slams down his machete through his fucking back, like over and over and over. Like you just see like chunks of his fucking insides like pushing through the mattress at the bottom of the bed. And then Jason, and then you think he's done work because he's just sitting there quivering, like smashing that beer can. I love that effect too with the beer can, by the way. And Jason's just like, "We're not done here." And he just closes the bed up on him, and it's like, "Okay, now we're done." And I think the most brutal thing about that scene is when he closes it, you just hear the guy's voice like shriek because it's like so much pain. It's nuts. Yeah, it. 
It's pretty funny. Like, I, I wonder if Jason's like, oh, this is a fold out uh, fucking bed. I better fold it back up. <laughs> fucking yeah, I always love this death scene, though. This scene has always been like up there. So fucking good. I like later in the movie when he, uh, the boyfriend in the dream comes back. It's pretty fucking funny seeing him. Yeah, it is. We'll get to that in a second. And this leads to everyone running outside in the rain. And then we see Lachlan Monroe's deputy Stubbs. And he's like, you kids need some assistance? And she's like, what the fuck does it look like? And she's just standing there fucking with fucking Cliff. blood all over her and her fucking towel. My name is Cliff. Brother of Brother Joe. Of Joe. Got me some I got crack. me some crack. I want me some hoes. I want me some hoes. <laughs> Let me hear you say yeah. yeah. Fucking. <laughs> That's what I love it, Cliff. Thumbs will always be. Yeah. Dead, always be Cliff from Dead, Dead Man, Man on, on Campus. I know a hooker downtown named Carl. She's beautiful, man. <laughs> I fucking love I know, it. It would be so fucking funny. Yeah, I said it. Dead Man on Campus is fucking funny. The premise is terrible, but it is funny. Like I, I don't, I don't remember the actor's name who plays Stubbs here and then Cliff, but it'll always be fucking Cliff Lachlan, to me, no matter what I see. Yeah, Lachlan Monroe. He was also in Scary Movie. Yeah, he was in Scary Movie, but it'll always be Cliff. Yes. That's what I saw him first, and that's what I'll and remember. He's a Canadian actor too, by the way. It, it yeah. Dead Man on Campus, goddamn that movie. It was hard for me to watch this movie because <laughs> Cliff is now a fucking police officer. <laughs> It's, I was just thinking about that movie the other day, too. I don't know why. I was. We got to cover that shit eventually. I was, yeah, it's I a was funny thinking movie. about this scene with uh, that song, The Woods of My Sperm. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, fucking thinking of that song to myself the other day, going, The Woods of My Sperm. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I'll second that. Debbie on Campus should be a film we do next year. All right. Anyway. Um, yeah, we get this scene with Stubbs and Lori in the interrogation room. It's so fucking painful to watch because of the bad acting between both of them. It's Oh, they're both terrible. God. Like, he was good as Cliff, but terrible at this. So this leads to Lori's nightmare sequence with her following this drop-in CG trail of blood to this little girl who's, like, quivering down, hiding with her missing eyes. Warns. I like the missing kids uh, on the wall. Yeah, you see the missing right. kids looking at her. That was pretty good. That's, That's a good, a good shot. shot. And then the girl warns her of Freddy coming back and soon being strong enough before we get this first glimpse of the Elm Street house from the past before a jump scare that wakes her up. And yeah, this is the plot. Freddy needs to be stronger in order for them to remember who he is and so he can kill again. Um... And she happens to live in the old Elm Street house. I forgot to mention that before, that Lori lives in the Elm Street house. But when we saw it later on, it was like the old, decrepit version. But anyway, um, then we get this fucking scene with Blake. And all the shit talking Blake does here, like, I heard it was some guy named Freddy. I'm going to take him out for you, I swear to God, Trey. <laughs> um, he fucking I has this dream. Too. <laughs> I'm gonna take him out for you, Trey. Like, was, it's so fucking bad. I got you back, bro. I'm gonna take him out for you. I swear to God. And then he, I now, I do love seeing the goat because the goat's from the original film, so that was cool. Because the goat runs across the screen in his nightmare, and then all of a sudden we see Shadow Freddy, and he goes to stab him. Now I love the idea of Shadow Freddy going to kill. 
and I wish he had his powers because this would have been a cool ass death scene. But instead, <laughs> it would have been. He stabs through him, and we get the guy going, "I'm all right. I'm alive. <laughs> I'm okay." I'm like, "What the fuck?" Line. <laughs> I laughed when I heard that line too. I'm all right. Who the fuck exactly. says that? Like, <laughs> who says out loud? I'm all right. I'm alive. I'm okay. Like, okay. <laughs> I just imagine like. Uh, I'm like in a car accident. Yeah. <laughs> I'm all right. Like, <laughs> survive that one. I'm all right. Just dust it so, off. Like, who says that? Like, why can't he just run away? So he runs, and Freddy's like, ah, I'm not strong enough. Guess I'm still going to let Freddy, or I'm going to let Jason have a little more fun. So then suddenly Blake wakes up, and his dad's next to him. We should have mentioned that his dad was giving him shit before he passed out, I guess. So his dad's just sitting there next to him, and he, like, could have put his, like, head down on his shoulder, and his head pops up onto his lap. <laughs> it just pops <laughs> off. And Jason, he, like, backs up into Jason, and he's holding his dad's Jason's- head. Okay. It doesn't make any sense. Like, why is Jason over there if he just cut this guy's head off? Like- so Jason, so we're led to believe that Jason, while this guy is sleeping, Jason cut his dad's head off with a clean cut, put it back on neatly, so he cleaned up all the blood, so none of it got, you know, can't make any blood. It's got to pop out for the first time. And then kind of like hit around the corner, waited for the guy to wake <laughs> up. And then saw that happen, and then he goes to approach him. And then when he goes to swing his machete down to kill him, the guy holds his fucking dad's head up to shield himself. I've always noticed that <laughs> watching this. Like, he's using his fucking shot. His dad's head as a shield. But it's still yeah, it is. Him. It is pretty funny. Yeah, it is pretty funny when his head pops off, but yeah, it, it makes no fucking sense. Like, none of it makes any sense. You know what else, you know, I you mean, know what else like, makes no sense? They go to school later on. And <laughs> yeah. Kia mentions it. She's like, they said it was a suicide. I'm like, wait a minute. Wait. Blake fucking killed his dad and himself with the machete. Like, he cut his dad's head off. And then he slashed. He killed himself. Oh, that's terrible. How do you do that? He slashed himself across his own chest with the machete. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The teens that's are different. Not the kind of way I would have killed myself, but you do you, Blake. The teens are the teens are gullible. I just like to imagine because this guy's sleeping and <laughs> Jason cuts his dad's head Quietly. off and then Jason's standing around the Jason standing around the corner and the guy's sleeping for another fucking hour and Jason's just standing there <laughs> looking at his clock like, all this right, guy all right that up. head ain't gonna stay on forever. <laughs> <laughs> He's waiting for him to wake up. This fucking kid wake up. Oh, got him. Oh, shit. So then we go to Weston Hills and it's our introduction to Will and Mark. Um, with the, I noticed the orderly that they're all getting the medicine from is watching the Evil Dead on the TV in the background. Nice little call about the original film. Um, and we see a special report on the TV from Lori's house, and he turns it off, and Will's flipping out about it, and he's like, "Why do you gotta do that, man? Can I just see what was on there? I know someone from that house." And the guy like shows out, like he brings out this like pouch that contains like this drug that they don't want no part of. So he's like, "Come on, man, what's your problem?" And they go back, and I I just wrote this line down because I think it's the goofiest fucking line. He's like, "Kurt, how many times do I have to tell you, man?" 
I don't do checkers. I'm an Uno guy, all right? So go grab the <laughs> fucking Uno deck and let's play, okay? And that's from I Mark. Know, it, it's so silly. Yeah, it, it's so silly, but like, I guess when you're institutionalized, that's all you have is your board. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. And that's Mark, Maybe. played by um, Brendan Fletcher, uh, Canadian. He's, he's one of the best. He's one of the best fucking actors in this movie. Like, he, at least he seems like he could actually act. I mean, a lot of his lines are silly, but at least I believe, like, you know what I mean? Like, at least right. I believe his character believes it. He's one of the best actors in the fucking movie. Do you movie. know what other big horror franchise he's a part of? What? F- I don't remember any horror movie, but I remember he did that Rampage, the uh, Uwe Boll movie back in the day. It was controversial. I remember that. Oh, wow. I remember that too, actually. No, uh, he was in um, Leprechaun Origins. <laughs> oh, I've never seen that one. Good. <laughs> I gave up after Back to the Hood Good. or whatever. And Will is played by Jason Ritter, John's son. Uh, Not a fan. that a little bit. So Mark acts like a monkey and gets tranquilized for his actions in an effort to retrieve the keys from the guard. So that him and Will can escape. And he does. He, he gets the keys from him. So we get this bit with Lori and her father. Uh, he doesn't want her going to school. Uh, but she wants to see her friends. Then we get this quick Freddy jump scare. And then this leads to the sheriff arriving with the news of Will escaping. And he says he's going to keep the situation contained. Then the girls are reunited at school later on that morning. Gib mentions Blake and his father being murdered, and now Blake's being framed to make it look like he did all the murders. Like, again, how? Okay. Movie's gonna movie. So we're also introduced to Linderman, Chris Marquette, who seemingly has a thing for Lori. And this was my first time seeing Chris Marquette. Now, we're gonna be talking about Chris Marquette. Chris Marquette. Chris Marquette next month, because he's in A Girl Next Door, or The Girl Next Door, which is part of our back-to-school slate. And, uh, yeah, this is the only serious movie that I can that I can really pinpoint him being in. Everything else is like a comedy and shit. Like, he was in this. He played Ryan Reynolds' brother in Just Friends. Remember that movie? Yeah, he's in, uh, he's on that show Barry right now. Oh, he is? Um, yeah, he's on Barry. Yeah. I've never watched Barry. It's a good show, by the way. I love Bill Hader. Yeah, I'm good show. I've never seen it before. Uh, um, real quick though, I gotta fucking mention this about this guy, Chris Marquette. If you pull up his IMDb right now, he's Christopher Rodriguez Marquette. <laughs> like, when the fuck did he become Rodriguez? Because he was never built like that back in the he, day. Did you know is. that? Oh yeah, I and he's built. He's got. He's got. Fuck no, he's not built. Yes, as, he is. He's not built as Rod. No, Put he's on not. The, There's in no the end way. credits. He has the full fucking middle name and everything. Because I, even I was like, hmm, that's different. I don't know. I remember always being Chris Marquette. That's why when I was like, when the, did he get fucking married or something? Like, I was like, why has he got Rodriguez in there now? Look it up. It's going to be on IMDb if it's, well, I know. I, I saw I'm it almost, two eyes. I watched the end credits. I'm almost positive. Here did it you is. watch it on streaming though? Like maybe no, they changed it? No, it's George, not Rodriguez. He's currently Rodriguez Marquette, I know, but in this movie, he's credited as Christopher George Marquette. 
Yeah, the Rodriguez bullshit is new. Now, apparently on his IMDb thing, he says he's Cuban-American. Yeah, I see Which, it. you know, I respect that. Like, everybody getting into their um, history, but I don't know. It just seems kind of odd that <laughs> for all those years, he was just Christopher Marquette, and now all of a sudden he's Rodriguez. It just seems tacky. Oh, my God, that's right. I forgot he wrong. was also the kid with cancer in um, Fanboys. Fanboys. That's yeah. right. That was him. Again, comedy. <laughs> Yeah, I I like Chris Marquette. Like he he was good in a lot of the um comedies and stuff that I've seen him in, and he's probably one of the best characters in this movie. He, you know, as far as like the, oh yeah, the and human he was characters. also that stoner kid in uh, Alpha Dog. Remember that movie? Yeah, yeah, he wasn't. He was really good yeah. in Alpha Dog. Yeah, because he was like one of the main characters. He was of part, the, yeah, he was he actually was there. there. So yeah, he was good in that too. Like he's actually a good actor. We should cover like, that it, film. I, I don't love, know why. I lo- I'm I'm a real big fan of Alpha Dog. Yeah, me too. Like I, I think he's a good actor. I think he's as good as he could probably be in this film. Unfortunately, I don't know what the fuck he's doing with this Rodriguez <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like I don't know. It just seems odd. I I don't want to judge anybody for uh, tapping into their culture. I'm not debating like he's Cuban or anything. I mean, I'm sure right. he is, but. It's just kind of odd. I don't know. Just a weird fucking thing to throw in there because that guy is fucking white as white bread. White as just like white me. bread. So like, <laughs> I don't know why you got to throw in the Rodriguez there. To, I don't know. Um. So we have Lori telling her friends about the man she encountered in her dreams. And she starts to recite the nursery rhyme when Mark and Will appear for the brief moment. As Lori passes out. I, I, I didn't get much sleep last night. And, and when I did sleep, I had the most terrible nightmares. Lori, you had to sleep at a police station. I'd have nightmares too. No, no, no. It wasn't like that. I mean, this was really real. I mean, there was this man, but he was more like a monster, really. And they kept calling him Freddy. And he was so real. What, what did he look like? He, uh, he had this dark brown hat and his skin was terribly burned and then on his oh right hand God. he had like these razor fingers you must be tripping. no 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 and then there was these little girls it's and okay. they were singing they were singing like this this song like one two freddy's coming for you you know why they sing that because that's when he comes for you in your dreams you're lucky to be alive who is he he's a child murderer that some parents from around here burned alive. Then he came back, oh, back for revenge in our nightmares. Funny no one ever told us. Okay, thank you. No. Want some free advice? Coffee. Make friends with it. Mark. That's enough. You're scaring. Because like Mark starts reciting the the rhyme with her, and it freaks her out, and then Will's like, "Mark, cut it out. You're <laughs> scaring her." <laughs> I laugh my ass off here because she's saying the thing and then Mark fucking finishes it and then he's like, you know why they say that? Because Freddy comes for you then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, they couldn't have thought of a better fucking <laughs> 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 It's so fucking bad. <laughs> you know why they say, one, two, Freddy's coming for you? Because that's the part where he comes for you. <laughs> yeah, because he's coming, bitch. Oh man! I, one thing I've always noticed about this laugh. scene because all the kids are like surrounded him and shit like that. One of the one of the actresses in the crowd here is uh, um, 
um, the, the the what's her name who plays the wasp? Um, oh Ellen yeah, G- Evan Jean. Evangeline Lilly, Lilly. yeah, that's like what that. it is. She plays yeah the the, the wasp actress. She's uh it's just an extra in this scene because again Canadian. So and the producer of the school is none other than Bob Shea. Good old Bob Shea makes his you know his little cameo because he always has to make a cameo in Freddie movies. So, um, after that, while Kia is in the waiting room, looking through a beauty magazine, waiting for Lloyd to wake up from a little sleep, her little little knockout, um, Kia has you know this nose job nightmare. Freddie's like, "Got your nose." I actually like the book. Like the book gag was really That's good. Right. Like the, the, having I, the gross I, out I was pictures. About that first, yeah, the gross out stuff, and then the fucking. Yeah, the gross out stuff is good, and then the CGI nose just fucking ruins it. But <laughs> it was good up until then. Like, if they would have just took a few seconds to actually make a practical nose to pop off, it would have been really cool. Yeah. So Will and Mark get scared off by the police and the school officials, so they rendezvous back to Mark's and talk about their plan in the back of his van. <laughs> How the fuck can they not find these guys? They're literally at Mark's house. Like, how can they not fucking find these guys? And Stubbs does it. Imbeciles at Springwood. Like, they're like, oh, let's go check at the school. Should we check at Mark's <laughs> place? Nah, they would never be dumb enough to go there. So Mark's afraid that he scared too many of the kids at the school. And they're all start going to be greeted and picked off by Freddy. So Will takes off. Uh, Will wants to take off the next day with Mark, but Lori wants, he wants Lori first, and Mark gives him the keys to his van, and gives him till morning to get back, unless he's taken off without him, so yeah, John Ritter, his son Jason, is Will here, um, originally, Brad Renfro was cast as Will, and I remember this, I remember when Brad Renfro was announced as what was he in? The name doesn't ring uh, a bell. He passed away like 15 years ago, but Brad Renfro was a a child actor. He was in Tom and Huck. He was in Deuces Wild. Um, huh. Brad Renfro was also in uh, the. I don't the, really the remember client. him, but I'm sure he's probably. That was his first. That was his I'm breakthrough sure movie. Was that film The Client with Tommy Lee Jones? Huh. I'm sure, he's probably better than fucking Ritter. <laughs> so, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of Sleepers uh, I'm sorry. at Pupil. Bully. That's another big one that that he's uh, popular for. But he passed away from drugs. And actually it was drugs that got him fired from this role, unfortunately. Um, Ritter had initially tested, but they didn't feel that he was right for the role at the time. Uh, He sucks. (laughs) Jason Ritter, I I, I don't know. I haven't really seen him in much else, but yeah, he's not I don't think he is either. Oh, absolutely not. Brad... Unfortunately, had to get replaced less than a week before they started shooting uh, because he couldn't kick his drugs. And then Brian Chucky, Ronnie Yu, the director of this, did Brian Chucky previously, which had John Ritter. So, of course, I think that's what helped Jason land this gig. Um, Yeah, and then this movie, unfortunately, he passed away I think this was the last movie that Jason saw or John saw his son in because a month later he passed I was going to say shit Jason Ritter yeah. died 
<laughs> I misunderstood what you were saying at first. I know. Um, and then we get the the corn rave, cornfield, the rave scene, corn rave, the cornfield rave scene with uh, man, talk about an underwhelming scene. I remember when they announced. I remember reading an interview with Robert England while they were filming this back in two thousand two. So it was about twenty years ago, and he was talking about that they were in the middle of filming this like big cornfield rave scene and how it was just like awesome because Jason comes and wreaks havoc and I'm like that sounds so fucking gnarly and then the end result happens and we get this scene which I don't know things I do differently we get Linderman at first Not trying to pick up on Lori what were you saying? Uh, it's just not great, but it's not terrible. There's some, there's some nuggets in here. Oh so yeah, it, it's still entertaining. Um, Gabe catching Trey Stoner friend Freebird going into graphic details about his friend's death. Uh, Lori and Will catching up and him discovering that she wasn't getting the letters that he tried sending, and that's why she had no idea what happened to him. And he tried to accuse her father of killing her mother, and him seeing it, and that's why he was sent away. So. That's the big secret. Well, it's kind of a dumbass. Did he really think they were going to send that shit to her? Like, right. I mean, I don't know. Like, kind of comes off as a moron to me. So then Gib, she goes out and passes out in the middle of the cornfield. And she, we get Freddie, she, she's, well, she should be Freddie's victim. But no, she gets stalked. She might as well be Freddie's victim for this scene because she goes that she's, she walks into the boiler room, and... Like when she falls. <laughs> He's like, you have nothing to fear but fear itself, and then she fucking falls backwards, and, he and just Freddy's goes, face is just like, oh. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Know, we get the bit where she, like, hides in the locker, and then Freddy finds her eventually, and, like, rips open the door, and he's about to kill her, and then psh, blood just shatters out of her chest all over Freddy's face, and it's like, what the fuck just happened? She gets killed. Actually, what happened is while this is happening while she's going through her nightmare she's experiencing a real life nightmare in the form of some drunk fucked up raver trying to get into her pants and raping her and that just goes south Jason like rescues her but kills her in the process and like flings this guy like a (laughs) hundred feet in the fucking air I know, you see the fucking glow sticks <laughs> <Yeah>. falling <laughs> as he's, like, flying through the air. And I just imagine Jason in his head, he's like, no means no. Jason, yeah, Jason's him. like, or Freddy's like, no, she's mine, mine. I I love the over-the-top shtick here with Robert Englund. He is fucking hamming it up, and I love every second. <laughs> you know, it's, it's awesome. Then we get these two jocks that are, like, in the field together, and the guy's like, this Everclear is kicking my ass and shit, and then, like, Jason appears and, like, the one guy starts poking at him and shit, and, like, I fucking hate this 180 head twist death that he pulls on this dude. I've always thought it was stupid as shit looking. It it doesn't look right. It just doesn't, it's it's just too goofy to me. It's like a cartoon. It needs, like, more gore added in, like, if you twisted him like that, like his fucking skin would rip and like there would still be some blood. Like, I don't know. Yeah, it's just cartoony. Right. Um, 
And the fucking guy throws, like, Jason just stands there while the other guy throws fucking Everclear on him and then lights him with a tiki torch. Like, Jason's just like, I'm cool with this. <laughs> you know, like, he's just standing there. Yeah, which of course makes sense because Everclear is pure alcohol. So, of course, it's going to be flammable that like that. Well, I'm not saying that, but, like, why the fuck would Jason oh, I know, just stand I know, there? I know, I <laughs> know. I'm just saying. No, um... And then we get the massacre. Like, he ends up, he's on fire, chasing this guy through the field, which really happened. Like, this dude was, like, under, like, fire oh, for, real. like, two yeah, minutes. Yeah, you can tell. Which, the, the, the standard is 30 seconds. This dude was under for 90 seconds, like, three times what they consider to be normal, which has got to be insane. But they did it. And they even had him, like, doing shit, like, killing people with like props and stuff and fake slash some of them are goofy and obviously cg slashes but some of them are still are also practical hence the real blood splashing everywhere squirting everywhere um i don't know overall i think this scene is fucking so underwhelming it could have been so much more i remember being so excited when i heard england talking about this scene and then stand result and i'm just like that was it i don't know it makes sense I, though, because he probably wasn't there, like, or he probably wasn't paying attention because he's not well, in the. For stars, I hate how it starts. I hate how it starts with the fat guy running out of the cornfield and into the party, and like, you see this flying, flaming machete go through him, and then when it comes out of him, it's still in flames, and I'm like, that's stupid. The blood would put that out, but okay, whatever. Movie's gonna movie. And then he spits out blood. It's clear that he's holding blood in his mouth that entire take before he dies. And then, yeah, I don't know. I just remember, like I said, I remember England hyping this scene. And I just thought that the end result was underwhelming. But I know a lot of people love it. And I don't want to, like, ruin it for them. So, if hey, if you're listening to this and you have a different opinion and you think that the massacre scene that just took place is a, a good scene, maybe the best scene, then, hey, I respect the hell out of your opinion. Everyone's opinions are different. Film is subjective. So, um, Kia Freeberg, Linderman, Lori Will, they all escape in Mark's van. Kia's dropped off, and her reaction to Gibbs, like, I can't believe her friend died tonight. Call me in the morning, Kay. Kia, I, I can't believe she. I know. I know. Look, call me later, okay? Please, just to check in. Okay. I know. Dude, the, dude, oh, the like, reaction's so wrong. It's so off. Like, it's just, it doesn't <laughs> feel like, dude, your friend just died like 20 minutes ago, and you're just like, call me when you wake up, okay? Good night. Good night. We're, all right, you're going to watch some reruns tonight? All right. Bye. Like, what the fuck? Like, I forgot about this, that they split up, because... When I before I rewatched it, I was like, I think they leave in the van, and then I remember they go to like Mark's right. house and like right. they're talking shit over. Like I forgot about this stupid shit when they all split up and all that. Like, yeah, I forgot how dumb this is. <laughs> uh, Will starts to tell Lori about what happened with her father, uh, but he shows up and attacks Will before chasing Lori into the house, and she questions him. If her mother truly died in a car accident and asked for proof before asking about Weston Hills, 
And he claims that he's doing some consulting there and it's not what she thinks. And she puts two and two together and questions if he knew Will was committed there. He brings up drugs as well as the parents of Elm Street. Um, yeah, he brings up drugs as all the parents of Elm Street tend to do in these movies. And then he escapes or she escapes the house and in the rain eventually catching back up with Will down the street and he says that they need to go to Mark because he's the expert of all this and we'll know what to do next. So I know Mark Mark knows way too fucking much. Like I like he figures shit out way too fucking quick in this movie in my opinion, but you know, it's a dumb excuse to keep going. Uh yeah. Uh Mark's death scene which is the second Freddy Nightmare sequence with him finally getting a kill in with a burning message from Freddy that he's back. And the scene itself, we get a cameo from Zach Ward, who plays a little, who's like Skulls, what the hell's his name from fucking Christmas Story? Um, uh, Scott. I don't Scott Farkas, name, but... that's his name. Scott Farkas. Um, and then he went on to do, like, he's totally that guy. He pops up in films like Resident Evil Apocalypse. He was in the first Transformers film. Um, a bunch of U-Bowl films, Alone in the Dark 2, Blood of Rain 2, The Devil's Tomb. <laughs> Stupid shit. Anyway, he's here. And he's the, he's Mark's brother uh, who's in the bathtub. Who's, like, li- lisp, like lipping all the fucking Freddy dialogue. And it, yeah, it's really cool. I dig this scene because he has like the big uh, prosthetics on his arms with the slit wrists. Yeah, it looks really cool, and the blood's coming out. Like I, I dig this death scene. I think it's. Pretty I like good. that, and I like the little blood creatures that come up and and pierce um, Mark's uh, two feet. But I like the effect when they're practical, not when they first pop up and attack him. And they're all CG. When you see him again, they're practically there, and I thought it looks pretty cool. Um, and yeah, and this is the only Freddy kill and it's just kind of underwhelming because he just tosses Mark around because Mark, first of all, gets a chance to live. He's just like, Mark, all I want is for you to send the message. That's all you need to do, buddy. And Mark's like, I will not send your message. And I'm like, Mark, just send the message. Instead of just saying, just sure. say, okay, and do it. you'd be fine. But no, you had to be a big, bad motherfucker and be like, I won't do it. So he's like, fine, I'll have to do it myself then. Tosses him into the corner and torches his fucking back on fire with a flick of a blade. And I, I was just waiting. It says Freddy's back, and I was just waiting for Will to say, I thought his name was Mark. <laughs> like, because <laughs> it's just so stupid, the dialogue in this movie. <laughs> but I want to mention Ronnie Yu's fast cut edits that he's made famous from the film that uh, he did before this bride and the white hair, the bride with white hair, sorry. And I don't know. I'm not a fan of using it in a horror film at this caliber. Like fans waited decades to see this and deserve better than this film because the lame duck attempts to force his style on a new young, you know, generation audience, whatever. Like they wanted to see Freddy Krueger go up against Jason Voorhees. Nothing more, nothing less. And he's like over here trying his style. Like we see it here, like when he gets up and he's running around like on fire and shit. Like there's these quick, weird, random edicts where he's messing with the fucking aspect rate and shit. And I'm just I don't know, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. And I don't like the uh you see it earlier too during the rave scene, cause some of the cuts of all the ravers dancing and shit. 
he's got that weird look going on. And I don't know, like, he made that stuff famous in his martial arts films, but they're all martial arts films, okay? This is a different horror movie, or this is a different genre altogether, it's horror. Not only that, you've got the two biggest icons of horror of the last 20 years or so, pitting it out, or duking it out against one another for the first time, and it's like, you owe the fans at least the decency to give them the film they deserve and not what you want to do. I just feel like a lot of the things that were done in this film were just from Ronnie you being selfish. You know what I mean? I think I think yeah, I, I think he it. was just trying to make his own different film instead of just giving the fans what they wanted. And in my opinion, after waiting so long, what they deserved. But it's not completely. Yeah. A, it's not a I terrible mean, his... film overall. I just feel like there's different things that could have been done differently. Yeah, I mean, I would like a tr- more traditional style as well, but I mean, I think overall he did a good job. I mean, yeah, I, I don't necessarily like forcing like his quote-unquote style in just to force it in, but I mean, the movie as a whole, I mean, it pays off well in the end enough, so I'll, I'm willing to forgive some of the other shit, you know? Yeah. Uh, so then Lachlan Munro's uh, Stubbs finds out about the truth about Freddy after dealing with a bunch of scared officials who won't even mention his name out loud. So he takes all of this to the teenagers at the the house, and they all team up to bring Freddy down. And this is the scene where we get Lori say the lines, Freddy died by fire, Jason by water. How do we use that? Wait a minute. Freddy died by fire, Jason by water. How can we use that? <sighs> to me, that's where this movie just just sinks like I hate that line so much I I oh, think yeah. this whole idea where Freddy is suddenly afraid of fire and Jason's afraid of water like where did this come hold from hold on did we did we talk hold on did we talk about the hospital yeah, scene yet. Oh, okay I'm just saying like for now I'm just saying like this whole I don't know I guess I'm getting out of out of, out of turn so well it kind of comes into play a little bit more later when Jason falls asleep and all that. But yeah, I, I see what you're saying. I don't like that line either. Um, yeah, so Lori has a nightmare again, but this time she's able to pull Freddy out of her dream with her, or a, a part of Freddy. And the group decides with this to go to Weston after Will mentions hitting the cell and how they never dreamt after taking it. So this is when Operation Dream Candy goes into effect and they head to the the psyche, the, 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 the medical facility, and they break in, and Freeberg almost immediately stops for a toke break, because why not? You gotta be the stoner. I I have a question, too. Why is Freeberg with them? I have them? no idea. I don't understand. I like, no where the clue. fuck did he come from? So, I understood they were at the corn rave, right. and then he was in the van, like, they were just escaping, he might have gotten the van with him, whatever. But then they all split up. Like, and then they come back together and he's fucking there all of a sudden again. I'm like, nobody has ever talked about him previously. No one really talked to him before. And now he's like one of the main characters. It's just, I don't know. It's fucking weird that Discount J is back with them. I mean, did you notice that watching this? It's just fucking weird. What? The, the fact that he's just there? He's yeah. just there, like, because, yeah, he's in the van, like, they escaped, but then they all split I up. I notice it every so time. why the fuck is he I back again? I notice it every time. I don't know. He's just there. Because I, I, 
I don't know, because he knows Gib, even though after the rave scene, she's no longer a part of them because that's where she dies. I, I don't know. But security guard that's that's there, he gets killed by the door that Jason's just fucking knocking <laughs> on. The guy's walking towards the door, and I'm just wondering in his head, is he thinking, like, it could be a straight cat He's just, dude, or some shit? Like, the fucking door is, like, is coming off the hinges. He's this door Don't vigorously to, to the point where, yes, he's just knocking it off the hinges. It comes down on top, this guy, which we don't see it. We hear it, and then we see, like, the after effect off, off camera, and, like, it just smashes him, and blood comes down, and, yeah, so they... Lori, Will, and Kia enter the... They, they encounter the, these comatose patients that are all signed off by Lori's father, followed by Freeberg encountering Alice in Wonderland Freddy and becomes possessed by him. That's what he is. <laughs> That's old And shit. encounters whispering comatose <sighs> patients telling him to pour the hit the cell down the drain. So he does that. And then when... Uh, Stubbs and Linderman try to stop him. J- Jason appears out of nowhere and fucking goes to. He strikes his machete down on top through this mach- this computer thing, which electrocutes him. And Linderman and and Stubbs go to go around him to escape, but he grabs Stubbs and like electrocutes him with him, and then knocks his head through the computer stuff too and kills him that way. So, Freddie Berg whatever you want to call him, encounters Jason. He injects him with numerous tranquilizer needles before being sliced in two before, yeah, after Jason. Jason gets knocked out afterwards. Yeah, and I like the whole idea of, like, Freddy kind of possessing somebody for a minute to knock Jason out. Like, I think that was a cool idea. And I do like the whole comatose patients with the gauze over their eyes. Like, that shit is really creepy looking. But it's all fucking ruined by Discount J. Like, I don't know. Like, it could have been a creepy scene, but it's not because it's in this movie and it's just got weird, goofy Alice in Wonderland shit right before it. Like, that's literally the scene right before it. Like, he gets taken over by the fucking Freddy Alice in Wonderland thing. And then it's this cool scene with the comatose patients. I wish that would have been a really cool scene, I think, in a regular Freddy movie. It was a good idea. I just wish it was executed a little bit better there. Because it was pretty creepy, especially like what the guy with the blood gauze over his eyes. Like, it's pretty cool looking. Um, and then we get Freddy versus Jason round one. I'm disappointed in you, Jason. You just obeyed me. You were supposed to come back home, just kill a few of them. But I blame myself. I should have known you wouldn't be able to stop killing. You are like a big stupid dog who can't stop eating. Even though your master said you had enough! <laughs> ah, it's time to put this bad dog to sleep. For good! gets fucked up by Freddy because we're in Dream World and Freddy ends up like knocking him around like a fucking pinball machine quite literally and then there's this reveal that Jason's suddenly afraid of water 
And I'm like, oh, yeah. did these filmmakers not watch a single Friday the 13th film prior to signing up for every fanboy's most anticipated horror movie? Because Fucking lives y'all in had the one job, exactly. <laughs> if you had watched these movies, you'd see that like he has no problem showing in water. There's not a bone in bar. There's not a bone in him that's afraid of water. Sure, he drowned, yeah, but it's not, it didn't make him afraid of it. No, I think they were trying to just make it like a simple fire versus water type thing in a way for Freddy to get to Jason. But like, why not just have Freddy turn back into Jason's mother and intimidate him that way or something like that? You know, because I would believe Jason would be afraid of his mom. You know, I would believe that, like if that was kind of Freddy's um, way of taking it forward and getting to Jason, I would believe that more than this fucking horse shit. With the water. I mean, even 20 years ago, I was like, well, this doesn't make any fucking sense whatsoever. So, yeah, like I said, y'all had one fucking job. So, Freddy digs deep into Jason's psyche and sees a lonely Jason dragging corpses around this Crystal Lake playground. When Freddy asks to see what's inside Jason's little closet. So, Lori decides that she wants to play, too. So, she takes some of the final doses of the tranquilizer and... Wakes up at Crystal Lake and all the kids are bullying Jason while a couple of counselors are having sex up on the the deck there. And it's like, the, kid, the, the, the guy turns into Freddy and drops a one-liner. Like, this bitch is dead or something like that. Bitch is dead yeah, on her feet. Yeah, dead on her feet. And the kids end up chasing, uh, chasing Jason into the lake where he drowns. Lori tries to save him. And then... Yeah, this the lake here that they filmed this on is the same lake that was used for the final scenes of X-Men United, X2. And they were filming at the same time here, back in 2002, 2003. The two casts apparently stayed at the same hotel during this. So that's pretty cool. Uh, Kia forced to give uh, Jason mouth-to-mouth, like, and we get Jason, Jason Ritter's brilliant fucking deliver here. Kia, he has asthma. Y'all, 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 something's wrong. It's like he's oh, drowning shit. or something. Freddy must something. be killing him. We need him alive. Dude, what do you want me to do? Like, give him mouth to mouth or something? Hell no. Why are you, no, no, I'm not gonna do that, no. Hey, look, I would do it myself. But I've had asthma since I was six, okay? I don't have the lung power. Kia, he has asthma! Kia, he has <laughs> asthma! Gotta love Will in this movie. She goes to do it. He's spitting out water, and then suddenly he wakes up, causes a crash. Linderman fires the pistol that he's holding. Jason's body flies out of the van as the vehicle itself overturns. It's just, yeah. So... So this forces child Jason to disappear and Freddy in his completely demonic form now blames Lori for this so he flies out of the water. This is a cool fucking shot. And he's like Oh, awesome. One of the best feet shots in the, in the movie. She's got a hold of him but doesn't wake up so she suddenly appears in front of Freddy's house now in this nightgown because why the fuck not? And the teens realize that they're at Crystal Lake in record time by the way they got from ohio to (laughs) new jersey in a fucking hour or so damn next town over yeah 
So while trying to wake up Lori, Jason appears in the cabin and makes a scene. And then Dream World, Freddy's about to rape Lori, it seems. Meanwhile, Linderman gets knocked into a corner by Jason and impaled by this random piece of metal sticking out. And then Lori gets, she's, Lori's knocked out, but she gets accidentally, her arms accidentally burned by the fire that was started. So she wakes up, and as she's waking up, Jason's, Freddy's on top of her, so she reaches up and grabs him. And as she wakes up in the real world by the fire, Jason, or Freddy's on top of her still. So now Freddy's in the real world. Die, little bitch. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> According to England, his Freddy makeup was so thick that he couldn't tell that how hot it was from the fires throwing the scene, and he had to get, he had to get um, help because the makeup was just sticking to him and shit, and it bonded to his face. That sucks, mm. man. But dedication. So Linderman goes outside and like he tells Kia to just go on the be fine, and then just strangely passes out alone and dies like this is kind of a ho-hum way for Linderman to go I mean he's one of my favorite human characters in this movie so yeah but I don't know it's always been an odd scene because he just sits there and bleeds out making this face and it and, and this ominous music and I just always felt that he could just avoid the situation and survive if he just got off his ass and made an effort but I don't know maybe he was tired so we get this uh, little encounter between Kia and Freddy. Um, I want to go to the house of whoever wrote this entire scene so I can slap this shit out of them for including this bullshit in my fucking <laughs> Friday the Elm Street movie. Like, from the dark meat line to the F-bomb, like, what in the actual fuck? Now, granted, screenwriters Mark Swift and Damian Shannon were... Dude, they were disturbed by the homophobic insult that our character directed at Freddy Krueger, and they both pointed out in the documentary that they had nothing to do with that. That was not something that they had in their script. So they were immediately like, "No, we did not write that." Someone either someone wrote that or she ablived it and they kept it. But either way, what the fuck? Like, I hate that. I hate yeah. that. It ruins this scene. And then she turns around and Bad. Jason swings at her and kills her. With like, swings at her with a machete and knocks her like fucking 50 feet like she's a fucking baseball into a tree. And she just like quivers to her death. I don't know. It's a stupid moment. I hate this scene. So much about this scene. The only good part in this whole scene is when Robert, like Robert England's face when she's talking he's like, and he's like turn around. Like, it, like, that's the only thing. I like his face when he's like, turn around, and then she fucking gets killed. But yeah, the whole homophobic thing, like, yes, it was more commonplace at this time in the early 2000s, 
Uh, either Even way, in 2003, it still doesn't I make was like, good. really? Yeah, it's just an odd thing to throw at Freddy. Yeah, I, I, I don't know why they had it in there. I wish they would have done something different. It doesn't help either that um, I don't remember her name, but I just call her Destiny's Child. Uh, she's not good in this movie either. So they're all pretty terrible for the most part. So uh, that doesn't help. And then the lines are just fucking horrendous. So, yeah, this whole part is I bad. Rem- she I remember killed. at one part. At one point, they actually had Tommy Jarvis supposed was supposed to be in this, and they were talking about getting Corey Feldman for the for the role. Um, I, I don't know where that went. I remember hearing that while or either either while they were filming or before they started filming. I think it was before they started filming. They were supposed to include Tommy Jarvis in the story, which made sense. Um, but I don't know. They 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 went a different route in in the end, and this I remember I remember when they announced that Kelly Rowland was going to be in the movie. Um, I had always assumed she was going to be like the the lead, but nah, she was just the best friend of the lead who gets killed. But whatever, whatever happened, they probably saw her act and were yeah, like, oh, no, yeah, we can't have her as yeah. the lead." So anyway, um. This is what leads us to Freddy vs. Jason, the final encounter with flying torpedoes. <laughs> Finally what Just we the came absurdness for. <laughs> of this fight, along with the amount of blood that spews from Jason alone, plus the music and the effects and set design, like, I, I wrote here in my notes, how much comedy is too much comedy? Um, I don't know. I like this. I, I like that it's an all-out battle. It's grotesque. It's It's fun i had fun watching these two battle it out you know they have three major battles in this movie the entire film and i think all three of them are you know worth mentioning because they're just highlights of the movie so we definitely get plenty of freddie and jason going at it so that was that was definitely not like an uh a questionable thing after the film was over it's like did they did they have to you know, enough Freddy and Jason together? Yeah, they definitely did. Um, then the fight makes its way onto the pier, and this is where it just turns into a bloody Japanese battle featuring two iconic horror characters, man. And I'm here for it. I oh, am. Yeah. I really am. They finish They finish each other off as Lori runs out with torches that her and Will were making. And they also set the, the deck of, like, they doused it with gasoline because they found a pump by it nearby for, for boats I guess and they use it for the deck pier whatever you want to call it and they set it on fire and at this point Jason rips Freddy's gloved arm off and then eventually you know he's he goes to Freddy yeah they, they both get the, the blown away and it looks like Freddy won and Jason lost so Freddy goes to kill Will and uh, Lori with the machete and Jason comes up and just impales him through his own chest with the, the gloved arm. It, it explodes through his like, chest. I like that touch. I, I like the fact that Jason stabs him with his yeah. own glove and then Freddy's got the machete. I like that touch. And then Jason the kind of like just fucking falls into the water like, I'm too old for this shit. Are we done here? Go, we got the whole Lori with the machete. Welcome to my world, bitch. And she Cuts his head off.
throws the machete back at him and he, as he just kind of like sinks down into the water. And then we get, it fades to black. And then the music cuts and then we get the smoky lake the next day. And then Jason or comes emerges from the lake holding Freddy's head. The head turns and looks at the camera and winks. And we hear Freddy's laugh as we hear that iconic theme. And then the, the, the credits come up. And that is Freddy versus Jason. Now, real quick, we do have uh, this scene. This is not Ken Kersinger playing Jason because they filmed this after they wrapped. This was uh, Douglas Tate playing Jason. His last few his few days on the film were largely spent largely spent underwater. The crew underwent the the crew discovered that when Tate was submerged, his clothes would cling to him and make him look less bulky. So Tate had the bulk he had to be bulked up with pads and extra clothing. And then <laughs> he had to walk along the, the lake floor, so they had to hold on he had to hold on to a rope tied down under the water. Now as far as Freddy's wink, that was Robert Shea's idea, apparently. Throughout the film's production, no one could decide who would win, nor what to do with the remaining human characters. According to Mark Swift, one of the writers, the ending delivered the effect that he originally was going for. He personally thinks Jason won the war. Bob Shea thinks Freddy won the war. Me, personally, I think the humans won the war because that's ultimately who came out on top was those two, Kia, uh, I like uh, to imagine and and uh, Will. Yeah, you're you're right, and I like to imagine as Jason's walking out with Freddy's head, they go immediately go kill Will. Yeah, Laurie. That's yeah. what I like to imagine. And yeah, that's it. That's Freddy versus Jason in two thousand three. Um, let's talk. Box office receipts. In the operational funds box, we will deposit 250,000 American dollars. You take it out. We put more in. I want receipts. So the film had a really unique premiere. Uh, Rather than a Hollywood premiere before the film's opening, which I'm sure they had, but the actual true premiere to like an audience took place uh, a week before it came out. It took place on August 9th, 2003 at Cap Cap Camp Hackenslash, which was in Austin, Texas. It was presented by the Alamo Draft House. They had, and again, this features on the DVD. It's It was an all-day thing. They had all the people that attended, you know, went through the camp thing they all got tube socks they all wore you know matching camp shirts and they all present they all performed you know activities that you would do at camps and then they had paintings and stuff like that arts and crafts and then later on the uh draft house had this giant inflatable screen that they put up and they had a print of freddie versus jason that they brought for uh everyone to see for the first time so that was cool that that would look like a pretty would have would have been a fun time, um, and the film itself came out a week later on August fifteenth, two thousand three, from New Line Cinema. It opened up across three three thousand and fourteen theaters. Uh, opening weekend, it grossed thirty six point four million. Came in first place, 
Second weekend maintained first place, even though it dropped 63.2% to $13.4 million. Man. Standard for a horror movie. Yeah. (laughs) Total gross, $116.6 million against a $30 million budget. So, yeah, it definitely made money. Uh, It was pretty popular. I remember when it came out. I mean, yeah. It didn't last the longest... Because I remember, like two weeks after this came out, was when Jeepers Creepers two came out, and when that by the time that movie came out, that two won first place that weekend, and like no one saw it. I remember seeing it that Saturday afternoon, and like no one was there. So definitely, and and plus, you know, it's the middle to the end of August. The summer season's pretty much dead at this point, you know. So, um. But it's modest. I mean, $116 million against a $30 million budget. Even when you tackle on marketing and stuff, it still made a pretty penny. So good for them. I'm surprised they didn't do a sequel. So, And I mean that, too. I mean yeah, me that. too. No, I was surprised. I thought for sure, especially the way it ended. And then, you know, I was always a nerd looking at the box office. It did well. So I thought for sure we were going to get a second one. Yeah, uh, I don't know. The world may never know. So, all right, let's move on to the critics' corner and see what they had to say about the film. Freddy vs. Jason currently has a Rotten Tomato score of 41% based on 162, rate, 162 reviews with a critical consensus that says fans of the two horror franchises will enjoy the showdown, but for everyone else, it's the same old slice and dice. It's got a meta score of 37 out of 100 based on 29 reviews, a B-plus cinema score. Um, Ebes did not review this. Instead, that he... Instead, he had Robert K. Elder from the Chicago Tribune take a crack at it. He gave the film two and a half stars out of four and said that it succeeds as a guilty pleasure, a monster mash that clobbers the recent lackluster sequels plaguing both legacies. Um, Also from the Tribune, Brian Thomas wrote, Director Ronnie Yu loses energy when it shifts to the dumb teen protagonist, and the script faithfully wallows in cliches so ridiculous they border one scary movie territory. Well, duh, Brian, it's a scary movie. Um, USA Today, Mike Clark gave it two out of four and said that, no, though not exactly John Wayne and Jimmy Stewart in The Man Who Shot Liberty Vallis, the star power marquee teaming is all about Freddy vs. Jason. No, star power marquee teaming is about all Freddy vs. Jason has. John Anderson from Newsday gave it also a 2 out of 4 and said fans of the two series will laugh because the genre is so squarely skewered. Others will wonder what the big deal is, having seen King Kong vs. Godzilla, Mothra vs. Rodan, and any number of sitcom weddings. Uh, Owen Gleiberman gave it a B- and said there are far less lively ways to spend a night at the movies. James Broadinelli gave it a 2 out of 4. That's a common rating. Good concept, mediocre execution. Um, and yeah, you get the gist. Mediocre reviews. It's not like we see these things 
for what the reviewers think of them. In fact, we kind of have a good laugh at what half of these people think of these movies because they're not made for them. You know, the, yeah. we might as well we might as well not that, even do this category for horror movies because it's irrelevant what other people think. Yeah, and it it, it is like it's actually better reception than I thought it was going to be. Like I usually just assume it's all going to be like yeah. one star. Or, one and a half star. I mean, I think the fact that Eves didn't even review it is pretty telling because, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, Siskel and Ebert pretty famously panned the Friday the 13th series. I mean, those are some of like their most popular look up know, part reviews four. ever. Was listening to look that. up on YouTube. Yeah. So, yeah, like I said, it's, it's not like we care what they think. We just like to discuss what they think. Moving on. Let's take a look at the music from the motion picture. Music from the motion picture. So Graham Revell, one of my favorite composers of this time, was the composer for this movie. He did the music for it all. He did the score for The Crow, Child's Play 2, From Dust to Dawn, Blow, and The Craft. Some of my personal favorites. Um, he's here. I love what he does with his little twist on the two main series themes that he brings together and stuff. Um, and I noticed a lot of the music in this movie, outside of that, it's a lot of um, a lot of soundtrack, um, a lot of bands and, and, and songs uh, that they got rights for. Although, it's worth mentioning that Ravel did the score to the film with the City of Prague Philharmonic Orchestra. While there were three songs in particular that were performed by the metal band Machine Head. And they are the three rock songs that we hear for the Freddy vs. Jason fights. Because each there's three there's three scenes that we mentioned before, and there's three different songs for each one. So and then there's the soundtrack itself. I mean this soundtrack takes you back to a different time because, you know, 2003, new metal was everything. New metal was really big at the time. Oh, yeah. The, I mean, Linkin Park was at their height. And this soundtrack, although I wasn't really a big metalhead fan, uh, well, metal in general, but I wasn't really the biggest new metal fan. Um, at this time, I'd grown out of it, and I was... I had shifted my my genre more to like punk and stuff, but I do remember this soundtrack and it was a banger, man. I still fucked with Spine Shank and hearing their song in this song and in, in this movie, beginning of the end. El Nino. El Nino. How how can I live? The song we hear during the end credits. That was like the lead single yep. off this soundtrack. Uh, this was the first time we heard When, Dark, Dark, when Darkness Falls from Killswitch Engage. Uh, from All in the Ashes, Seven Dust, Power Man 5000, Motor Dials, which is the drummer from um, Slipknot Jordan. That's his band, other band. Rest in peace. Seether, Stone Sour, speaking of Slipknot, Devil Driver, Sepultura, Blank Theory, Nothing Face band that we saw open for Soulfly and Pantera back in 2002. Typo Negative. I mean, this soundtrack slaps. Now, 
again, uh, a lot of these songs we hear throughout the movie, um, I mean, without even looking, this just looks like a Roadrunner soundtrack. Oh, it is. It's a fucking Roadrunner record soundtrack. So that right there tells me all I need to know about this soundtrack. Um, so yeah, you know, they did a soundtrack. I'm not telling listeners to go seek out the soundtrack today. It's definitely a product of its time. Um, I mean, I'll go back and listen to it from time to time just for nostalgic purposes. Oh, yeah. But I'm not, for any intensive purposes, like saying, please go seek this soundtrack out now because unless you listened to it 20, 19 years ago, whenever it was, I'm not, no. <laughs> Different styles. Yeah. Um, you have to be a fan of new metal, which I was. I like, was, I was too. huge. I was, even though metal. I grew out of it. At this point, there were still some some bands on here I fucked with. And even still to this day, I still listen. I hell, I just saw Kill Switch back in March, so. Um and yeah, and like I said before, Graham Ravel, I, I always want to give him credit where credit's due because I'm a really big fan of his music. Um, I, as iconic as the Crow soundtrack is, just like this, the score is just as good, and that's how I feel here. So, um, yeah, man, moving on. Uh, alternative versions. Alternative versions from another dimension. Because I want to talk about the ending. That I don't know. There's 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 a filmed ending that's on the Blu-ray and DVD that you can also see on YouTube. That is terrible. We'll get into it in a second. But then there's this unfilmed ending that we've heard rumblings about that, of course, we know why it wasn't filmed. And we'll get to that in a second, too. But so let's shift back to the filmed ending that we see that as a bonus feature. And I'm sure a lot of listeners are familiar with this ending. It's when Laurie and Will are back at home now. You know, everything's over with. And they're, of course, getting intimate, having sex. And then suddenly... Will makes this motion like his hand's a glove, and he's suddenly Freddy, and he goes to slash at her, like, you know, mid-sex, and then, like, it cuts to black, and that's how the film ends, and it's like, that doesn't make fucking sense, though, because you killed Freddy, how's he doing this, how's this happening, like, no, I'm glad we didn't go, I'm glad we didn't go down this route, not to mention, Jason Ritter just looks goofy as shit trying to pretend that he's Freddy Krueger, like, and especially when there's no, like, <laughs> you know, glove effect. It's just him with his hand pretending that it's a glove. It's like he's ma- he's playing make-believe with her in bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds terrible. Oh, man. It doesn't help that I hate both yeah, of their right. characters. So, but then we have this, this other ending that was planned, but, of course, never happened. It never was going to happen because of rights. And that's with the two battling in the hell and then suddenly chains come out of different directions and separate the two, and then Pinhead is revealed, and he's like, what seems to be the problem? And then the film ends. You know, for as cool as that idea is, I mean, Dimension's never going to give over the rights to uh, New Line for this character, especially when they could just... And I'm surprised not a lot not a lot of other studios did this after this film came out. Didn't look into ideas or ways of getting, like rights with other franchises to do similar films like Dimension at the time quote okay they've got Ghostface they've got Pinhead 
Hell, they had Candyman rights at the time, I'm sure. They could have done something with that. But they never did, man. I mean, we had AVP the following year. But that's different. Yeah. It's just tough. I think those movies are a harder sell because you don't have to be a horror fan to know who Freddy and Jason are. Like, everybody knows Freddy and Jason. They kind of transcend the genre. Pinhead... A lot of people know Pinhead, but like when you're getting into Candyman, I think if you put Candyman in front of a lot of people, they're not going to have any fucking clue what movie it's from. You know, I I think as you get down the line, it just becomes less marketable for the studios. I'm not saying I agree with it. I think a Candyman versus fucking Hellraiser would be fucking awesome. I would watch it. But I, I think from a studio's perspective, they're probably worried there's not enough of an audience. Because a movie like that can get expensive pretty quick. You kind of catch what I'm saying? Yeah. I've always looked at these characters we've been talking about as like the new Universal Monsters. Like you've got Chucky, you've got Jason, you've yeah. got Leatherface, you've got um, Freddy, Pinhead. You know, I've always lumped them five or six people together as like the new era of or the new generation of Universal Monsters. Rightfully so. Um, unfortunately, they're not all, they're they're not all owned by the same company, hence the title Universal Monsters. Um, otherwise that would have been a cool crossover film, but this film, at least we got these two characters that we never really thought was ever going to happen and and it finally did. And I've always kind of viewed this film as like, I've kind of always compared it to Abbott Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein. Because that's kind of like the first movie, I believe, where we saw Wolfman and Frankenstein. It's either Frankenstein, Wolfman, or, or, or Dracula. Don't quote me. Um, Together in the same movie. Yeah, they're all in there. Yeah. It's like a big crossover. Like Because uh, even though it was obviously titled as Avin Costello, but yeah, that's it's like a huge thought. crossover. Exactly. That's, but that's, yeah. So that's why I've really always cool. looked, kind of compared this to that film. So, um... But yeah, that the whole pinhead ending definitely would have been cool, but obviously it was was never meant to be. So uh, let's move on to uh, hmm, pros and cons. Before I take on any job, I look at it the same way as it takes to make the thing positive versus negative. Now, you mix a little bit of this with a little bit of that, and you get a reaction. All right, pros. Uh, seeing two horror icons battling it out for a good chunk of the film is always going to be at the top of this list. Uh, Trey's bedroom kill is an all-timer. The music we just discussed. And Dark Freddy is good. So those are my, my four main pros. I wanted to kind of keep it contained. Because I could probably go on and on about things I liked about this movie. But I'll keep it to my main four. So how about you? What are your pros? I mean, my top pro is this movie delivers. Uh, You know, sometimes you see versus movies. You see horror movies where they kind of don't deliver on the premise. But this movie does. You get Freddy versus Jason. I think all all three of their confrontations in this movie are fun. And fairly well thought out. Minus the whole water bullshit. But, um... I could tell they put some thought into it and how to make Freddy versus Jason. So I really appreciate all those scenes. I mean, they're definitely the highlights. The reason you watch this movie 
And as a fan, you're not going to be disappointed by them, I think. So that's my top pro. Um, my next pro, not necessarily a script, because I think overall it's pretty terrible, but I'll just say the idea that they use to get Freddie and Jason together, I like. You know, if just some of the dialogue was better in between and some of the cliches were dialed down, I think it could actually be a pretty good script overall. But um, I like the idea they went with instead of doing fucking Fred heads or the Holy Grail or whatever crazy other shit that they would come up with. Um, Fred heads. <laughs> yeah, I think the idea of having, you know, kind of Jason kill for Freddy because he's forgotten works. One part doesn't work is Freddy kind of becomes Candyman here because like as soon as um, I don't know, I forget her name. Lead blonde girl says his name. Uh, he comes back. So that is kind of funny. She's like Fred Krueger. And then all of a sudden he's back. So it is kind of like a Candyman type thing there. A little odd, but, uh, I like the whole idea of the town forgot him or basically eradicated him and he needs Jason to get back. Um, so I think it was a good solid premise overall, even though a lot of the script is fucking terrible. <laughs> um, and then, uh, my last pro is uh, some of the humor lands like some of it is cringe in this movie, but some of it actually really lands. Um, uh, Robert England, obviously he's great. Like he has a, a lot of funny spots. Um, I like like when the rave guy gets thrown the fucking <laughs> <laughs> close sticks start falling he down. He gets launched. Yeah, I, there, there's definitely some uh, funny spots in this. I, I like um the fucking discount J like is kind of funny. I don't know why the fuck he's there, but it is kind of funny. Like, I, I think this movie has a good uh, sense of humor about it. And I think a lot of it still lands and I, I laugh. I mean, I also laugh at the bad shit, but you know, <laughs> I don't know. I'm a, I'm a fan of uh, a lot of the humor they put in. I think you kind of have to a little bit when you have Freddie in there, you know? So that's my last pro. I, it still has some good lines and some funny stuff. All right, cons. The acting is hard to avoid. It's soap opera levels of bad in, in elements. Um, Kane Hodder's presence is sorely missed. Ronnie Yu's martial arts style of cinematography just doesn't gel with the film's overall feel. And yeah, those are my main cons. Uh, again, wanted to keep it contained a little bit. Um, I didn't want to tear into this film. Uh, too badly so I just picked out the, my main issues with it and those would be my top three yeah I mean my number one con with a bullet is the acting it's bad I mean it's laughable oh, yeah. just hearing some of the lines I mean just the way it's delivered I mean Will kind of comes off like a moron the whole movie and that's down to partially the writing and also uh, I don't want to offend anybody but Jason Ritter might be good in other stuff I don't, I don't recall it's... off the top of my head but he's terrible in this movie <laughs> It's the, to me, it's the most obvious in that first scene at Lori's house when we first meet the three girls and they're all like hanging out, you know, like, you know, Gibbs by the uh, window smoking the cigarette. Oh, Gib, I thought you quit. Oh, yeah. Well, then I wanted to, whatever the hell she says, you know, everything like they're definitely reading off a script and you can tell like I wouldn't be surprised if that was like the first day of filming, like no joke. Because there's something about that scene that stands out. I mean, yeah, it, it doesn't really get any better from there, but, like, it's really noticeable in that first scene with them all together in that room. It's bad, yeah. There's just, like, no chemistry whatsoever. Yeah, it might um, be that, too. But it's just, yeah, the acting is just god-awful. I mean, like, the only two 
human characters that I actually really somewhat liked was Chris Marquette. Linderman was fine. Like, I wouldn't even say it was good, but it was just fine. Like, I didn't think he was a complete idiot the whole movie or hate him. And then um, Brendan Fletcher, uh, his character. I mean, he's kind of fucking like conspiracy theory crazy and he knows too much about Freddy more than he should know. Like his theories are just like spot on out of nowhere. He's like, wait a minute, maybe Freddy forgot. Wait a minute, maybe Freddy's getting stronger. Like it doesn't really make any sense. But the actor behind it, like I, Brendan Fletcher is actually decent. Like I've actually seen him in some shit where, you know, those two guys are good. Everybody else sucks. Right. So the number one is acting. Um, My next con is some of the CG looks pretty bad. Like the whole nose thing looks pretty horrendous. And to me, that's like, one of the easiest things to do a practical and I, I don't know why they did that. Cause they used a lot of practical shit in the movie. Um, but that one stands out. Um, the fucking CGI Alice in Wonderland, Freddy bullshit. I would have rather them just either built something or just do something different there. Uh, yeah, that so is fucking just, terrible. Yeah. Just that shit. Like even the shadow Freddy isn't that bad. Like it doesn't look great, but at least it's a cool idea. And it I happens dig it, so but, fast. It's kind of hard to tell with the obvious CG. Yeah. Is. But some of the other shit, like some of the effects in this just don't hold up. It's early two thousands oh, CG. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's my other con. And then my last one is just a lot of the dialogue in this movie. Like, yeah, the acting is bad, but the dialogue's fucking pretty bad too in a lot of spots. You know, like between the actors, like you said, the whole opening scene, you know, pretty much just fast forward until the fucking what's his name gets killed in the bed. I mean, it's pretty bad. Like it, the whole plot is kind of nonsensical. Like, it, like I like the idea, but then just some of the shit is just too coincidental and just too dumb. You know, it, it it's there to get you to the fighting, but it's still pretty bad. Like. <laughs> The acting, the plot, the ugh, right. CG, oh, none of it holds up well. All right, let's move on to modern cancellations. Someone just got canceled. Someone just got canceled. Someone just got canceled. I wonder what they did. Who gets canceled by today's cancel culture? Um, Wow, for me, it's really hard. I thought... It was 100% Kia, but then I was like, well, Trey's right there, too, and he's pretty fucking terrible. Um, I think based on the language she says alone, I think it's Kia. I think Kia would be the worst uh, culprit. Mm, no, maybe maybe Trey, just because of the way. God damn it. Either it's Kia or Trey. It's a to- it's a coin flip. It's a toss up between one of them two. I think those are the, one of the two that gets canceled by uh, today's cancel culture. So, what do you think? Or is there someone else you want to add to the pot? Well, I mean, yeah, it would definitely be Kia just for the offensive language. Like that that shit's inexcusable. Like seriously, for a moment, like, uh, yeah, I, I that that whole taunting part. I don't even like the taunting part anyway. I mean, it makes sense for their character, but at least make it decent taunts where it's not homophobic for no reason. Uh, so, yeah, that would probably be my number one. But also, I want to throw out the rape rave guy. I think he would get canceled oh, yeah. for his fucking outfit. Not even so much the rape. I mean, that too. <laughs> but just the outfit. Like, it's so 2000s with, like, the big-ass pants and the fucking glow sticks and shit. I just can't get over that guy. 
He looks like the third guitarist from Orgy. He <laughs> 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 just look like he's from Orgy. Yeah, that is a good one. Oh. All right. Um. Now we got that out of the way. Let's move on to the Mulligan moment. If you had to do it all over again, would you make the same choices? You want to go first on this one? <laughs> My biggest Mulligan moment, and I literally rewatched it several times just because I kept laughing at it. Like, they ruined this whole part. Like, you have um, the main girl saying the Freddy rhyme, and it can come off kind of creepy. And then fucking Mark, Brandon Fletcher's character, comes in. (laughs) (laughs) He says it. One, two, Freddy's coming for you. You know why they say that? Because that's the part when Freddy comes for you. (laughs) I literally had it on a loop last night. I was looking to rewatch it. I was like, I felt like they put that in the script. And they're like, oh, we'll come up with something better. And then they never fucking did it. They forgot about it. And he just <laughs> 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 oh my god, that shit is fucking hilarious! Like I, I can tell somebody thought they're gonna put something clever in there, and they never fucking did. And it's so stupid. Like it kind of starts off somewhat maybe potentially <laughs> creepy, and then it just ends with me fucking laughing. And then, and then I popped into my head the Freddy game where it says Freddy's coming. Like that popped into oh, my yeah, fucking head right. too. <laughs> anyway, that, that's mine. That's fucking funny. Um, I would rewrite the film to give it more purpose or meaning. Like the motivation's there, but the execution's terrible. Once Betsy Palmer declined the invitation to return, they should have abandoned that stuff with Jason's all mo- uh, mother altogether, and had Freddie get Jason to make them remember him in another fashion. Because again, the motivation's there. I really like the whole Freddy getting Jason to help the kids make them remember him purpose you know, entirely. You know, I, the, the usage of Jason's mother just sucks because once the audience knows that, that that's not really mother, his mother, Betsy Palmer, like to me, all bets are off. Um, but yeah, I, that's what I would do. Totally is, is just uh, rewrite just some way the more purpose, more meaning, how, I don't know. It's not my job to get there. I'm not the writer, but that if if I were in charge, I would have someone. You know, give us. I I can't think of something off the top of my head as an example, but that's 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 my answer. So fuck it. Um, <laughs> uh, that said, let's move on to finger licking good. Finger licking good. I mean, for me, this is a no-brainer. It's the Freddy vs. Jason final encounter. It's that, that third and final fight between the two. The one that starts with the torpedoes and ends with the fucking water just the head winking and shit. I don't know. It's just a brutal, badass last encounter, and I, I love it. They they both get their equal amount of licks in. They both just destroy one another, and it's a, it's a fun fight. You got these two horror icons right before your very eyes. You know, it's going down. So, yeah, I, I mean, mine has to be the same too. the ending fight scene. Uh, yeah, I really like the way they juxtapose Freddy and Jason's. So obviously, Freddy's like more of the brains and he's obviously a lot faster uh, just in the way they fight. You know, 
is Freddy a little too fast in this movie? Probably. Like, he looks a little too martial arty and kung fu-y and fast. But I know why they had to do that. I mean, you can't have Freddy fucking lurking around and going slow when you have Jason, who's like, you know, this powerhouse that would just rip him apart. You know, so I appreciate what they did. You know, Freddy's kind of faster and quick moves and using the environment. And Jason, obviously, is the big, dumb, immovable object who's just going to rip him apart. So, uh, yeah, the whole end scene is pretty... It's mindless fun, in my opinion. I mean, it delivers on the premise and it pays off and it's pretty cool. Like, yeah, the torpedo is a little silly. Sure. But I mean, it makes for a cool visual. I remember the trailer and I was like, oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. It's a so, cool visual. I, I like it. Yeah. So it, they get they both, like you said, get their shots in like it. it it's a good fun fight. I mean, I think it's about as well conceptualized as you're probably going to see in a movie like this. And like I said before, I can tell there was a lot of thought put into it, trying to have them both go at each other in a logical type way. Uh, you can definitely tell that was definitely where the focus was and it pays off. Like it, it's really entertaining. Awesome. Seeing the two icons go at it. So yeah, it's a definitely can't miss for any fan. All right, let's move on to like this. Try that. You can go with this or you can go with that. Honestly, you could pair this up with Ronnie Yu's other horror sequel, Bride at Chucky, and have a similar time. Plus, it stays in line with the new era of Universal Monsters, including Chucky, Freddy, Jason, so to speak, like we just discussed. Like, I... Why not? You know? you got the same style. You've got, you know, similar and classic vein of horror uh, villains in, in a sequel. And so, yeah. Um... Freddy vs. Jason and Bride at Chucky together. That's my double feature for this week. No, that's a good one. For me, it, it's an easy one. I'm actually surprised. I thought for sure you were going to pick this and I was going to have to do something else. But mine would be Friday the 13th Part 7. Just because, like you mentioned before, oh, you have shit. Freddy vs. Oh Jason. Do I even versus think Carrie. about that? Well, we still got good answers out of each other. Because, yeah, I'm glad you were able to pick up that. Because... I still kind of like my Bride of Chucky idea, so. No, I do too. I agree. I think uh, both. But yeah, Freddy, uh, you can watch Freddy versus Jason, then uh, Freddy versus uh, Generic Carrie. You know, so good times. Yeah. Featuring the best Kane Hodder, so. <laughs> yep. Yeah, you can watch and like imagine Kane Hodder in the Freddy versus Jason. That's right. That's right. All right, well, then let's move on to our movie MVPs. All right. Now, you might think I'm a little biased. But I take my job as a presenter very seriously. I will show no favoritism. I am here to honor excellence. And the most valuable player is... Uh, for me, it's England. Robert England. This is primarily Freddy's film with Jason cast as main support. It's uh, England anchoring this character just as strongly nearly 20 years since the first time. And the darker edge after being so familiar with the jokester variation of him for so long. Well, it's welcoming. So, yeah, Robert England for me all the way. He's He's got my MVP vote. Yeah, I mean, obviously mine has to be England. I mean, he is the star of the show. He is hamming it up the whole time and having fun, and it pays off. Like, I think this Freddy is a really good Freddy because he looks scary, he acts serious, but he still gets in the one-liners and some of the jokes. 
Uh, so I really appreciate it. I even like the parts when Freddy isn't like really Freddy. Like I like the whole Jason's mom at the beginning. I know it can be hammy, but I appreciate that fact that it's Freddy, uh, you know, being her essentially. And then I like the part when he inhabits uh discount J and then he's standing there with the syringes and then you hear Robert England's voice. Uh, Robert England is just such a fucking boss. Like I, that's the sad part. Like, I mean, you're not going to get any more Freddy, at least not in this incarnation anymore. And it's just sad. Like, I, I don't know who, who you would really get in there to replace him nowadays. Cause Robert England's unreplaceable. Uh, you know, I would say the same to a lesser extent about Kane Hodder, but I mean, can you imagine if they would have done this without England? Like, I mean, there'd have been no way it would have been like people with pitchforks in the street. So, I mean, he's so integral to the movie and he's so fun. Uh, yeah, I love him hamming it up the whole way. I mean, it's just great shit the whole time. All right. Final effect. Ow. On a scale of one. Ow. On a scale. Ah. On a scale. Ow. On a scale of one to ten. <laughs> on a scale of one to ten. Give me the damn veggies. What do you think? Let's do this. Final effect rating. Um, I'm going to give this 3.5 stars. Based on rewatchability, the music, the two characters battling it out, I still have to rewind myself. Remind myself that I'm watching an actual Freddy vs. Jason film at times when this is one. Uh, the in and out, quick time, um, you know, quick runtime. I love so much about you know this the the the. I love it for personal reasons, and a lot of those reasons overshadow the terrible acting and piss poor decision making, but. It also makes the ridiculous drive time seem so forgivable. So, uh, yeah, three and a half stars for me. And obviously it gets the seal of approval. Thumbs up. How about you? Yeah, for me, it's three out of five. Uh, I think it's a solid film. Uh, it has a lot of its flaws, but this movie always have a special place in my heart. I mean, there's so few movies that I can distinctly remember back to being so excited for like, you know, just thinking in my head, like I would say this film, Dark Knight. Um, I remember Robocop three back in the day. Obviously, that didn't turn out too fucking well. Uh, you know, there's just like a handful of movies that, you know, I get excited for a lot of stuff, but that I'm just like focused on. And this is one of them. I mean, I just remember reading so much and just being so excited and I was pleased. Like, I, I enjoyed the movie. Like, does it hold up as well now as it did 20 years ago? No. Uh, but I think it's still a lot of fun. I think you can just sit back, turn your brain off, and enjoy the uh, Freddy versus Jason fight scenes and just try to forget that the most of the human characters are even there and a lot of the silly things in it. Um, yeah, it's just a good, fun time. I think for a versus movie, it delivers really well. I mean, I would put it up there with, you know, some of the other classics, uh, like we mentioned before, like Abbott and Costello, Frankenstein or uh, Godzilla versus Kong or, uh, you know, whichever version, the old version or the new version, um, you know, just any of the verses or worlds collide type movies. I mean, I think this is done pretty well. I mean, right. looking back on it in the early 2000s, I think we ended up with a fairly decent movie, it could have came out so much worse. So, and I'm not trying to like, you know, just look on the bad side of things. You got to remember the early two thousands wasn't the height of horror. Like we don't have, we didn't have elevated horror 
<laughs> back then like we do now. We didn't have fucking hereditary Fuck or midsummer. No. Fuck no, we didn't have any of that shit. So, uh, you know, like this is pretty much as good as it got back then. You know, so I, I really appreciate that. And um, yeah, now I'm actually going to get off of here and listen to the soundtrack because now <laughs> I want to get back on the soundtrack. So but yeah, overall, it gets the film effect seal of approval from me. I think it's a, for horror fans. It's an absolute must watch when you're watching the series. And I challenge anybody who's a fan of these film um, characters to not have a fun time watching this. Well, there you have it. And this episode is sponsored by Teamwork. If only Freddy Krueger and Jason Voorhees understood the value of teamwork, they would have been able to conquer Springwood and Crystal Lake together. They win, we lose, but no. One couldn't have it without the other, so now it's ruined. One couldn't have it with the other, so now it's ruined for everyone. Good job, fellas. Way to fuck that one up for yourselves. And that's going to do it for our Freddy vs. Jason episode, a film that no doubt gets the full film effect seal of approval. As we just discussed, one down, many more to follow. Check out our ever-growing collection of previous episodes over on our website, which of course is thefilmeffectpodcast.com. And please follow us on the following social media platforms for all announcements and up-to-the-minute updates. Uh, we're on Facebook and Instagram, at the Film Effect Podcast, Twitter, at Film Effect Pod, TikTok, at Film Effect Podcast, YouTube, well, that link's in the episode notes, and our email address is thefilmeffectpodcast at gmail.com. Ratings and reviews really help us out. It really helps get the word out, so please let us know how we're doing, and if there's anything that we can change or do differently next time. If you haven't already, don't forget to check out Fewercast and last week's Fast Times Rizmont High episodes. Coming up next week, we got an episode that we've kind of owed to ourselves and our fans. We're following up Before Sunrise with our beloved Before Sunset episode. And uh, yeah, looking forward to that. Richard Link later. I love the Before Trilogy. Um, and this film is short, sweet, to the point, and features one of the greatest movie endings I've ever seen in my life. So looking forward to that. And uh, yeah, as always, thank you all so much for listening to the this edition of the podcast. We'll be back on Friday for Fury Cast, and until then, my name is Ed. And I'm Corey. And this has been the Film Effect Podcast. Take care now. Bye-bye. See you guys. This concludes our broadcast day.